The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It is episode number 196, and this week I am very pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Hello, from live from Italy, Mr. Paul Vosch. Hi, Paul. Hello, John. Uh, how are you doing? What temperature is it right now in uh, New York? It's very cold, I think. I think it's, uh, what do we say? Yeah, 25 degrees Fahrenheit, so whatever that is in your uh, more logical temperature. Yeah. Well, well, I looked up what it was here yesterday, and it was 60 degrees Fahrenheit, so I went out in a short sleeve shirt and a light jacket to get ice cream. So, yeah, you know. that sucks. I'm very jealous. <laughs> I, it's, it's so cold that, like, uh, I can't go outside and smoke on my balcony once a week, so that's probably good. Like, my lungs thank me for that, but, uh, yeah, it's like I, 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 my, I do not have a strong enough addiction to nicotine to want to go out there when it's 25 degrees so <laughs> it's just like i'm not doing it so i'm just gonna wait until it's a normal temperature again uh yeah, fair enough i think we're gonna get like to like 65 i think or something like that like sometime next week so that's gonna be interesting in like early february <laughs> yeah but uh you know other than that everything else is normal here i guess did you watch any of that uh, 24-hour Fight Forever show, Paul, that did not actually fight forever because they went on, out for an hour, apparently? Uh, yeah, I actually watched some stuff. I, I was actually surprised by, like, the Iron Man match. Like, it wasn't, like, a really great match or anything. But I thought it actually would be a lot worse, given that who was, like, in there. Like, I liked Tony Deppen well enough. But I really thought that, like, Jordan Oliver would get, like, really badly exposed, and he didn't. So I guess it exceeded my expectations, but yeah, otherwise it was just a bunch of like meaningless matches. Yeah, the only thing I saw, but I, turned... I guess it was for a good cause. So yeah, that's that at least. The only thing I saw, I turned it on like probably like five or ten minutes into it, was that Blake Christian versus Leo Rush two out of three falls match, 
which was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like just watching that live because first of all, uh, you know, the audio was terrible. Like the uh, there was like a really big delay on YouTube. Like anytime, you know, it was one of the like watching these. Sometimes when you watch these Piro shows that people ripped, there's like a delay where like. You know, you oh, hear yeah. the you hear the body slam well before the body slam happens. Oh this yeah, is, no, that's unwatchable to me. Like I literally, I, can't it drives me insane. Yeah, but here it was funny because uh, it was like, well, it just adds to the comedy of them in this warehouse with these security cam looking cameras. Uh, <laughs> you know, with with the audio completely off, and then so they have a regular match of fall one. Then they say fall two is first person to go through a red door loses. Uh, which I, 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 <laughs> because it's they they do doors in GCW instead of tables. I think I knew that, but yeah. Then uh, so Leo won the first fall. Then Blake Christian, I guess, puts Leo Rush through a black door, and the announcer, like the, the you know, it's not a red door; it's a black door. And the announcer immediately says, "Well, that's not a red door, so you know, uh, obviously Blake did not win the fall." And then the referee raises Blake's hand and says, "He just won the fall." <laughs> so it's like, what the hell is going on here? And then uh. Yeah, and then Leo, you know, they start wrestling. They keep wrestling. And the announcer's like, well, we don't know. We, we think this is still the second fall. And then the third fall is a casket match for some reason. I, I don't know why. I guess because he's the, the black heart or something. I don't know. Anyway, and, you know, they they both go through a red, a red door together. It looks like Leo puts Blake through the door. And by the actual state of rules of the match, Leo Rush just won because he, went, he didn't lose the second fall in the first place. So the match should be over. But they keep going and they fight to the casket and the announcers the entire time are trying to cannot explain what's happening. And then finally Leo puts him in the casket and wins the he, he's the first person to ever win a best of three falls match three to zero. So it was, it, it was really something. I don't know. It's really something. Uh, but yeah, I didn't watch the rest of it. That was pretty much it for me. Like I watched the next Well, to match. be fair, like. There, there was, there was the uh, Blake Christian. I think like had to like leave GCW as well because he lost a match to Ricky Shane Page, where he put his GCW career on the line. So I guess at least like that's like an interesting development coming out of like all of these shows, where it's like that probably means that like Blake Christian has like signed with someone because like I doubt he would do that otherwise because yeah. that was like his main place where he would work. So like I don't know like. Obviously, New Japan has had, like, a lot of interest in him, and I think that would be, like, the best place for him because, like, he has, like, some potential, and, like, whenever he has been in New Japan, like, that's generally the best he's looked, like, out of what I've seen of him. So, like, Mm -hmm. hopefully, like, that's where he goes and, like, just goes to the dojo and just, like, has Shibata, like, beat some sense into him. (laughs) Well, who knows, I guess. Watch him show up on NXT, of course, but... Yeah, yeah, of course. Show up there. Anyway, um, I mean, in terms of like people getting signed to NXT, like that's the person I care like the least if he signs to NXT, like whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my that was my GCW experience, and then you know I I think I watched like I watched like one other match. It was like uh, God, who the fuck was it? Nate Spider Nate Webb against a guy the one Manders or whatever. I don't, I don't even. I don't oh yeah, these, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to tell you that much. I don't, I don't know these people that well, but uh, you know the only thing the only thing I have to say about that is Alley Cat might be the worst color commentator in wrestling history i mean just com- <laughs> like all she says is like she'll have this like very like uh normal delivery this very like almost bored sounding delivery most of the time and then suddenly she'll start screaming in your ear and you're just like please stop i don't i don't want to hear you the alley cat scream at me anymore 
Um, someone probably Look, like. I mean, someone at probably least, likes least, this, but... At least there's like a consistent level of talent between a wrestling and a color commentary. So there, you know. There you go. But uh, yeah, someone probably likes this, but it's definitely not me. But yeah, um, that was my GC. There's my GCW report. I did not. I watched like an hour maybe of the 24 hours. So, and when I went to go watch it again, so I I, I stopped watching because I felt like playing Sound Voltax. So I was playing my little rhythm game, and I went to go watch again, and I'm like, and people are like, oh, uh, the feed's down. I'm like, what do you mean the feed's down? They're like, oh yeah, it's been down for an hour. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what? But yeah, uh, that was that was that was my sum total of my GCW experience. Well, keep it in American wrestling for a second. If we get to the show's topics, are you excited for the Rumble Royale today, Paul? Oh yeah, of course. I got a lot of money riding on that. Or uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> there's definitely the... no money I have invested into that pool. There's definitely no gambling going on here at at, yeah. at any point or anything like that. So really, a... only in Joe Gagne's like free pool is the only one I'm invested in. So there's a VOW Slack Rumble. Uh, you know, very like you said, non gambling pool, and I have I have a pretty good number in the women's rumble. I have twenty two, but I have uh, nine in the men's rumble, which is fucking nine is not gonna win. I hate to tell, like that's not you know nine is a classic slot for like some fucking job or nobody cares about. So uh, yeah, so I mean you can still get like money from like the first one eliminated or from, like for, no, no 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 from nine. No, I can't. They're not gonna they're gonna have one through eight all come out and not be eliminated. Probably not, but like maybe you get like shortest time, you know, like shortest like, time is I don't possible. Know, like shortest Tucker time is possible. or someone comes out but... at nine and just immediately gets thrown out. Yeah, shortest time is possible, but like first, like if you the, the if you're gonna get an early number, you want like four or something, because that four, oh yeah four has a real shot at first eliminated three four five, but nine has no has almost no shot at that. So no shot at winning and no shot at first eliminated. So it's just like yeah, I think the worst. I got like. 12 and 22 or something i don't remember exactly what numbers i've got but oh, like 20 22 is good that's what i have in the women's 22 is pretty decent yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you could you could easily see them having somebody come out and win at 22 so i have look I at have the end hopes. of the day it only like matters which number the fiend comes out in like either rumble so you know that's true the fiend and the fiend deaths okay yeah. so this will be the first like i don't know if i'm gonna watch it all the way through i'm definitely gonna watch at least part of it but if I watch it all the way through, it'll be the first WWE show I watch all the way through since last February. So we'll see. <laughs> I, I'll see all if I'll steal it. I'm sorry. I, I mean, all I have to do is get like, I, yeah. definitely real money on the line. And uh, <laughs> and then I'll watch WWE if I, have, if I have money on the line for every show that I watch every show. Yeah, no, fair enough. I, I'll try and stay up for it. And if I actually manage to do so, it's like the first like WWE show incomplete that I've seen. Uh, since the Rumble 2019, so <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, you have beat by a yeah. lot there. That's true. Rumble 2019. I actually reviewed pretty... that. For, I reviewed that for the website, and I didn't watch another WWE show for two years. <laughs> that was a pretty good show too, wasn't that? That's like Brock that was and... really good. Yeah. yeah, that's like Brock Finn. Uh, yeah, that was that was a really good match actually. Yeah, Brock Finn was awesome. Sh- uh, Sasha Ronda, I liked. A lot of people liked it more than I did. I thought it was good. And yeah. Becky Asuka's fucking that fucking rules. That so rules, yeah, yeah. That match was great. I mean, those three matches are awesome. And then the one on paper you think would be the best one of the four title matches, AJ Bryan, is like fucking terrible. Which is I really fucking hated. I hated that match so much. It made me so irrationally angry. That was because I was like... just like, it was like fucking three in the morning for me, and I'm watching like two people that are like 
technically two of my like all-time favorite wrestlers and they're fucking laying a stinker in the fucking middle of the ring because WWE is incompetent and I'm just like how do you make me hate a match between AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan? What the fuck is wrong with you? Well, that was the one where people, if people hadn't figured out that AJ sucks by then, then I don't know what to tell them. I mean, he just, that, oh, he, was, yeah. he was like toast by then. But yeah, uh, that's Oh, yeah, but look, he's against Bryan. Like, <laughs> Bryan can like literally carry like a log of wood to like a good match. Well, he couldn't do it with AJ Styles at that point, I guess. No. But yeah, um, you know, it's a. Uh, it was a it was a very that was a really good show but uh a lot of the stuff that happened afterwards was not very good so you got out <laughs> you got out right at the right time i guess um yeah <laughs> but yeah there's uh anyway so let's i guess we can get into our actual topics here which of course is japanese wrestling uh we have two shows to review which is uh the new japan new japan for wrestling new beginning in nagoya uh, that was on saturday january 30th and the pro wrestling noah uh higher ground show from cork and hall on january 31st uh before i get into those reviews though i just wanted to take a quick moment to plug the wrestling omakase patreon uh we're gonna have lots of cool stuff coming up in february um you know first of all uh if if you've never signed up with us before it's only five dollars a month so get that out of the way immediately there's no multiple tiers it's just five bucks gets you everything we're gonna do uh so it's at patreon.com slash wrestling omakase uh, this, you know, we, we really focus on Japanese wrestling, obviously, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, past stuff on there and, you know, current stuff too, especially when there's tournaments, but this coming month, you know, a lot more focus on past wrestling and next week, I can tell you right now, we have a very exciting, uh, Patreon exclusive episode. I'm going to be joined by WH Park, uh, from the post wrestling network. Uh, he'll be making his Omakase debut. And he and I will be doing a five matches episode. Uh, we've already picked our matches for that. I mean, it's a really cool lineup of matches. Uh, so definitely, um, actually, I can give you the, give you some of them right now. Obviously, we don't know what's going to win the poll yet, but let me see. Yeah, so some of the matches are going to be doing um, Manami Toyota versus Aja Kong from the All Japan Women's Dome show. Uh, Tenkoji versus Suwama and Suji Kondo from All Japan 2008. Uh, it's a match they put up on their service recently that, uh, you know, just struck, stuck out to me. Uh, another All Japan tag, this one from 1989, uh, Stan Hansen and Genichiro Tenru versus Jumbo Shirata and Yoshiaki Yatsu. And the Tiger Emperor, which is Kotaro Suzuki, against Ricky Marvin from NOAA. Uh, so some really cool stuff there and some really, uh, some obscure stuff, I think. That would be cool to talk about. But yeah, so plus we'll have a fifth match uh, that you'll be able to vote on if you're a patron. So that's coming up next weekend, or probably like a week from Monday, actually, is when I'll put that up. So that'll be a Patreon-exclusive episode. Uh, we'll be doing a Patreon-exclusive... Um, so it'll be... We, we've been, we did a Retro Roulette episode back in October, and we'll be doing a New Japan Retro Roulette. Uh, it'll be based on a New Japan theme, which we'll go in, into more when we get closer to that episode. But that will also be Patreon-exclusive later in February. And then on top of that, we do our one match episodes where in, you know, each match I cover or each episode I cover a match on its own. Uh, these are shorter, uh, bite-sized episodes. I usually do about two a week. So, you know, you get a pretty good amount of content there. Uh, and this time in February, we're doing a uh, patron submitted matches. So all sorts of different stuff in February. I mean, um, you know, I've gotten matches from everything from, uh, you know, Joshi to, you know, current New Japan to like 90 stuff, 80 stuff too, I think. I mean, all sorts of different stuff we're going to talk about. It should be a ton of fun. 
And, you know, on top of that, um, if you've, if there's anything I've ever mentioned before that you wanted to listen to, you know, only five bucks and you can access our entire archive, uh, including, you know, recently we did all these Tokyo Dome main events in order. Uh, I got all the way up from 1989 to 1995 uh, before I took, you know, I paused that. So we'll, we'll resume that at the end of the year, probably closer to Wrestle Kingdom season again. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, I covered everything from, uh, you know, we did both SWS Dome shows. We did the All Japan Women's uh, Dome main event, the Big Egg Wrestling Universe. Um, you know, we did the UWF and uh, Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gumi. A ton of New Japan shows, obviously, but not not just one four ones like you've seen in other series. You know, like on the Voice of the Wrestling one, but we did like all these other New Japan Dome shows even before January fourth. So yeah, those are a lot of fun. Uh, there's series covering every Tanahashi Okada match in order, every Naito Ishii match in order. So those are all waiting for you right now for your five dollars. Uh, you know, definitely a ton of content on there if you've never subscribed before. Uh, so you know, would highly recommend it. Patreon.com slash wrestling omakase uh definitely check that out for february obviously if you i think they changed the way they do it anyway i think now if you sign up you get a full month no matter when you sign up but the important thing is you can sign up now uh for five bucks and get access to all that content and in march obviously you know if you stick with us through march we'll be doing daily coverage of the new japan cup so we'll be bringing back our tournament coverage that we did uh, you know, we covered the G1, the the Best of Super Juniors, the World Tag League, um, you know, the Champion Carnival from All Japan. That's that terrible tournament, uh, and the Noah and one victory, the Do, the King of DDTs. So we covered a ton of tournaments last year, but yeah, we'll be getting back into that this year with the New Japan Cup and then uh, the Champion Carnival as well. If they they haven't announced that yet, right? But I think it'll be in April probably. Paul. Uh, yeah, I don't really see a reason why they would move it at this stage. Yeah, like I get why they moved it last year, but I think at this stage, like they're just gonna like power through. Yeah, like, unless they, what unless they could, want... like what really could happen at this stage that would make them move it, unless yeah. it's like literally every venue in Tokyo just goes, no, we're not gonna take any wrestling shows. Like I think that's about the only <laughs> thing, and I don't think that will happen. Yeah, I mean the only thing I think of is maybe they they decide they want to try to wait for regular crowds or something because there is a chance probably in like October if they ran it then again that you could have more normal crowds that can cheer again. But I don't know. if they It's not. It's probably not worth it for that level of uncertainty. Yeah. So. And we saw and we saw what happened last year where like apparently Japanese like apparently all Japan wrestlers if the Champion Carnival doesn't happen at its normal time don't give a shit about the Champion Carnival. <laughs> so maybe let's just do it with clap crowds and at least have it be good. So. Yeah, it's, uh, hopefully that's the reason. But yeah, we'll find out this, this year. Uh, but yeah, so the two shows we're here to talk about, New Beginning and Undergoya, we'll start out with that one. Um, this was, a, a, I would say, a good show. I think some people probably have it much higher than me because uh, they probably are higher on the, sec- the semi-main event than I was. But, you know, I love the main event. Uh, I thought match three was good. You know, there's the first two matches really not, not much to them, but we'll go through it as we go here. Uh, I, you might be one of the people who's higher on semi on the semi main than me. So I don't know. what do you think? Of the we'll show? see about that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, overall I would say a good show. Definitely a lot better than the, uh, January 23rd Oda War gym show, which by the way, did you see that tweet Dave Munster put out when he was promoting the, uh, wrestling observer <laughs> newsletter for the week? And he was like, this was possibly the worst big New Japan show in recent memory. I'm like, 
What? That's Dave, a bit much. <laughs> Dave, well, first I mean, it of all... it was great, but like, you know... Whoa, 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 time out. The quality of the show is not the, the part of the tweet that's bad. It was fucking Road to New Beginning Night 5. <laughs> Even if it was like the worst <laughs> show New Japan ever put on, that statement would still not be accurate because Road to the New Beginning Night 5 <laughs> is not a big show. New Beginning in Nagoya is barely a big show. Road to Be- New Beginning Night 5 is certainly not a big show. Like, people were really dunking on that tweet. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, the the history of Road to New Beginning Night 5 will never be the same again. It's like, I... Dave actually did kind of say it a little more, uh, you know, diplomatically in the newsletter where he was like the worst somewhat big show in New Japan history, which I don't even think it counts as that. I get why he said no. that because it was at Oda War Gym instead of Corrigan. But like it's at Oda War Gym because the max you can put into Oda War Gym right now is 1,200 people. So, yes, I mean, that's why it was at Oda War Gym. But I don't know. I mean, just really really bizarre shit that 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 tweet was uh i mean i didn't like that show really much at all either but like to call that a big show was uh, <laughs> so it's uh, a bit much yeah, yeah a bit basically much. it's basically a house show stuff that just happened to be in like old award like yeah i mean they had a junior tag title match on it but i mean they've had junior tag title matches on road two shows before yeah. i mean i don't know anyway uh new beginning in the glory we're here to talk about though uh, attendance here was 2156 so i be- i think that was a sellout for the capacity of the they're allowed to have at a IG professional gym right now so uh you know they continue to draw well everywhere that's not Corican. these Corican shows are yeah. not drawing because they're running 10,000 of them but uh and you know and they're also at like 6 p.m on a weekday because of the uh you know because of the the what's it called the curfew that they're, yeah. that's going on they, get, they got outdrawn by all Japan last week like that's yeah kinda, like I get that it's because they run like Kurkin like literally like 50 times a month but still like can't really get outrun by all japan at this stage that's just kind of embarrassing yeah but every every other show seems to still i mean the older war gym show was a sellout on this one uh i you know i, I would i would assume 2000 if 2156 isn't a sellout with the current covid protocols it, it's really really close because i think this building normally fits about 4500 i think and they did forty, you know. I think they're doing forty percent of the, of the capacity right now. So, uh, but yeah, this was a you know a good a good crowd there. They were into everything, you know, as into everything as people can be right now with the COVID protocols. But yeah, uh, we'll start the main event and work our way down. The main event, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi defeats Shingo Takagi in thirty five forty with the high fly flow. Uh, becomes the first of all becomes the longest never title match of all time blows past the previous record which was like 30 56 or something uh for goto and uh goto and elgin they mentioned it on the english commentary which i have a few things to say about the english commentary i guess i'll mention them throughout but uh yes they mentioned the english commentary which i think they got that from chris samsa uh of course who's a voice of wrestling zone and also sport of pro wrestling so shout out to chris but yeah, uh, this was a Tanahashi beating Shingo, the new longest never title match of all time. Uh, it ends Shingo's second reign with the title. Uh, this would have been his second defense. Of course, he won the belt back from Minoru Suzuki. Uh, a power struggle in November, so not a long reign for him here. But uh, you know, he had the he had the never belt most of 2020 because he you know he won it uh, in February. He lost it to Minoru Suzuki in August, and then won it back from in November. Uh, but it was not a not a long reign here, but, uh, you know, I definitely think people 
he was firmly established the never level you could say so yeah you know i think he if they if they want to do something else with him if they want to maybe tease that he might win the new japan cup or if they want to you know i could i would love and i don't know if they would do this but like if if i was booking right now and i needed to find something to do with uh naito and shingo and uh you know if if dangerous techers win back the tag titles on uh february 10th I mean, I would love a Dangerous Tekken versus Naito and Shingo feud. I don't know if they would do that. Oh, that would, absolute, that would absolutely rule. Like, yeah. I would be all in on that. I, but I wouldn't be opposed to, like, a Shingo, like, like, like double title, like, challenge as well. Like, I don't think he would win. But, like, I think him and Ibushi could have, like, a really good title match as well. Yeah, that would so be I another failing up. a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah, but New Japan does it all the time. I know, it's so, just so annoying. Like, it's like you've lost the never title. <laughs> why are you challenging now for the double titles? It's like if you want they want to go have him win the New Japan Cup, I, that will make sense. But like if he's the Castle Attack challenger, it'll be like, okay, <laughs> why, are you cha- why are you challenging for these titles? Anyway, uh, I'm going to smash him. But to be fair, but Tringo makes sense as a challenger in Osaka. So. Did he beat Ibushi or did he lose to him? He did beat Ibushi in the G1, I think. Yeah. I think so too yeah yeah so i guess that would make a certain amount of sense uh so yeah maybe that'll happen who knows uh new beginning in nagoya though the main event here um so we open we open up uh with the two of them trading some arm drags uh a nice little leg trip from tanahashi uh the transition into a headlock and just you know that kind of mat wrestling and tanahashi eventually starts going after shingo's leg just before the five minute call and shingo you know, eventually comes back with this big running lariat that sends Tanahashi all the way to the floor. A nice pump from Tana. A little silly of a counter when it's a guy working over your leg. But he does at least stretch it out on the mat to show that it's clearly affecting him. And it's not like so much leg work at that point that it, was, that it really bothered me. But we'll talk about the leg stuff as we go here. Um, Tanahashi does catch Shingo off the ro- against the ropes and tries to get him a dragon screw off of there. But Shingo, like, kind of weirdly spins out of it. That... I don't know, I've seen other people do that dragon screw quote unquote counter before. It doesn't really work for me because like it doesn't look like the guy who's, you know, quote unquote countering it did did anything, you know? It just looks like he didn't take a bump yeah. for no reason. Uh so I don't love that counter. It's not it's not a Shingo specific thing because I've seen other people counter the, the dragon screw from Tanahashi in that way, so I assume it's a spot that Tana calls. But like it just looks weird. I think it, he should he should retire. Yeah, no, spot. it, it... It looks like a miscommunication more than like yeah. anything else. It just looks, it looks like, like oh shit, I forgot to take a bump. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's just carry on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely something they're doing on purpose, to be clear. But like, it's definitely it doesn't really work. Uh, Shingo then runs in the ropes at full speed, tries for the sliding lariat, but Tanahashi ducks that at the last possible second. Hits a basement drop kick to the knee, followed by finally getting the dragon screw. That was a really fun sequence. Other than the uh, you know, the issues with the dragon screw counter, like I said. Uh, and then Tanahashi follows up with his flip senton off the second rope for a two count. Uh, you know, Shingo comes back by tossing him to the apron. It's like a quick snap over the top rope. And then, uh, you know, goes to re-enter the ring. Tanahashi cuts him off with a, another basement dropkick while he's climbing in. Now, you know, this sounds better on paper than it looked in practice because Shingo ended up kind of having a pause for a few seconds halfway in the ring for no real reason. Just kind of had to stand there like, kick me boss, basically. So that wasn't great. But, uh, you know, but then Tanahashi follows up with a amazing high fly flow uh, from the floor of the top rope. 
So I think people probably forgot about that spot, and I probably would have forgotten about it too if I didn't take a note on it. But yeah, like the the high fly flow crossbody to the floor here was like one of the better ones he's done in forever because like he basically crushes Shingo's face with it, and it looks amazing. So yeah, uh, one of the. It's also kind of crazy that he still does that spot as well because (laughs) I'm sure it's like. Like, obviously, like, he's, like, very beat up at this stage. Yeah. So, like, no one would fault him if that was, like, the move that he was just, like, you know what, maybe I'm not gonna do that anymore, but he still does it anyway. I mean, kudos to him, but, like, I I don't know. Like, it was very cool here, but he definitely should reserve it for, like, matches of, like, this caliber. Yeah. And I think he still does it a bit too frequently still that he probably should at this point. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Tanahashi, he cuts Shingo off trying to get back in the ring again uh, gives him another dragon screw against the ropes uh, and then Shingo finally comes back with an elbow and at the end of the reversal sequence he like continues his move theft gimmick by lifting the twist and shout from Tanahashi really drops him with it too, it's like probably better than Tana usually does that move uh, he does a second one for good measure then gets the sliding lariat um, I will say and this is going to be, this is my only other than those few little awkward spots, this is my only big critique of the match, where he does that annoying uh, run at full force and then go down clutching my leg thing that I hate. Um, I will say, he he does a better... Like, at this point, he does that. Later on in the match, he does a better job selling the leg and, like, actually going at a slower speed. So I can kind of overlook it, because it's not like he completely ignores it or just totally goes off and on the way I've seen other people do. But yeah, I mean, this is this was one moment where I thought he ran a little too fast for the amount of leg work at that point. Uh, Tanahashi comes back with yet another basement drop kick. He starts kicking at Shingo, uh, and then Shingo, like, um, you know, basically gets all fired up and yells at him, and then catches his leg and uses it as an opportunity to hit this big running chop block on him. The chop block looked awesome. I mean, just a perfect chop block. Uh, and he starts tar- targeting Tanahashi's leg from there. Uh, and gets the big dragon screw with Tanahashi tied up on the ropes that, like, every Tanahashi opponent does against him now, which, it it works every time, so I guess I get why. But yeah, uh, they're going to keep doing that to him to the end of his career, I guess. Uh, And then Shingo, in one of the the best moments of the match, plays air guitar with his leg, which is, like, just such a great taunt to use against Rose Tanahashi. I mean, that was just such a great dickhead moment. Uh, oh, yeah, no, I mean, like, there's n- not many people that are better at just being, like, complete dickheads than Shingo Takagi. So, yeah, yeah and I wrote I'm about not surprised the, by that. I wrote about it in the preview. I was annoyed that he wasn't doing it more during the build-up. Because, like, I really, ex- that's what I expected him to do. In this pre- like, I thought he was going to, like, lean into the heelish side of himself and, you know, really be an asshole. And he never really did during the build, but I'm glad he did it a bit during the match here. Uh, Shingo gets a big half-crab which he sort of turns into like a hold on the mat. You don't really see that that often. Uh, just so you get the 20-minute call. And Tanahashi, you know, obviously. No, nobody listening to this needs, needs me to tell them that Hiroshi Tanahashi is good at selling. But man, his selling was really good here uh, <laughs> as he eventually made it to the ropes. Uh, Shingo goes for the Made in Japan. Tanahashi counters by going back after his leg. Hits a couple big dragon screws on the mat. That Those always look great. And then he gets the to- Texas Cloverleaf locked in. Uh, Shingo does a great job teasing that he's going to go out. And, of course, that's how Tanahashi uh, beat his stablemate Naito for the Intercontinental title back at Dominion 2017, which, you know, I wish the English announcers, I mean, Kevin Kelly did a good job on the show, and ELP, uh, I saw him getting some rave reviews. ELP got 
better as the show went on, I will say. Like, the first two matches, he was annoying the shit out of me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. And, like, as... He was terrible, like, the first two... But I think that was because that was, like, that had Bullet Club involvement. So he was doing, like, Bullet Club heel stuff. Whereas, like, afterwards, like, especially in the main event, he just became, like, just, like, a normal color commentator. And I think he was actually really good in the main event. And then the... Osprey like, match as well. Like, it's okay to be heelish, and he still was heelish, but, like, he was way too over the top in the first two matches. And as the show went yeah. on, like you said, once he got past the Bullet Club stuff, he became way, way better. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I wish I wish one of them had pointed out that this was how Tanahashi beat Naito uh, to, to win the Intercontinental title, because to me that was, like, a, that's, like, the first thing I thought of when I was watching this, because, you know, Naito and Shingo being stablemates and all that. Uh... Tanahashi decides to let go of the hold, though, which is a curious decision because uh, it looked like Shingo was going out. And he immediately decides to try for high fly flow to the back. He hits it. He goes up for a second time for the one to the front, but Shingo rolls out of the way, and Tanahashi eats shit on it. Uh, and, you know, that's that was a moment where I'm like, oh, he's actually losing this match. It just didn't feel like the kind of thing that they would do before Tanahashi lost the match. The fact that he ended up winning, of course, uh, just means the match was very well laid out, you know, to make you think either guy could have a chance to win. Because, yeah, I wasn't spoiled on this, thankfully. And ELP actually offers a decent explanation on commentary here where, you know, because obviously Shingo was going out before the first high fly flow of the back, so you'd think, how the hell did he roll out of the way of the, uh, the second one? And ELP basically says, well, maybe the first one to the back actually woke him up. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that kind of, that did kind of make sense. That was a good, you know, I, I, I very hard on ELP on this podcast most of the time. So <laughs> I will say, uh, that was a good, that was a good explanation on commentary because my first thought was like, why did Shingo, why was Shingo able to roll out of the way of that? But, uh, you know, it kind of makes Tanahashi look like an idiot because it's like, why didn't you just keep your cloverleaf on man and, uh, wait for him to go out? But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? He won the match anyway. So, uh, we get the 25-minute call uh, as Shingo hits his sick wheelbarrow suplex into the turnbuckle pad. Uh, he then pulls out the Move Thief gimmick again and like finishes a little counter sequence uh, with Tanahashi by dropping him the dragon suplex. That was pretty awesome. He throws a pumping bomber, and here he actually does a real good job selling that he can't run anywhere near as fast as usual after all that leg work and the clover leaf just now. Like, he, he really slows down. He hobbles on one leg for it. Like, it, he did a really good job there. So that definitely, uh, you know, uh, made up for some of my problems with his leg selling earlier in the, earlier in the match. Uh, you know, he tries for a second one, but again can't get the full speed, which lets Tanahashi duck and try Sling Blade. But Shingo reverses that right into Made in Japan, which that was a really cool reversal. Uh. And then he drops Tanahashi right on his fucking head. Uh, and that was gets... absolutely disgusting. <laughs> that was... I I cringed when I saw that. Like, I actually didn't see them. I actually didn't watch the match live. I actually watched, I actually watched it, like, afterwards on VOD. So I kind of, like, I was a little bit spoiled on it, and I kind of knew that, like, the Made in Japan spot was, like, really nasty. And I still cringed when I saw it. I was like, holy shit. He literally just drops him straight on the top of his head. Like, that must have sucked so much to take. But, like, Tanahashi just took it like a champ. Yeah, sick-ass move. I mean, it's one of those times where obviously he wasn't trying to do that, but it adds to the match, if anything. So, I mean, just just killed him. I mean, just murdered him with that. Yeah. Uh, Shingo goes for the last of the dragon. Tanahashi lands on his feet. 
hits the twist and shout, followed by a second and a third. Uh, he goes for the sling blade. Shingo tries to catch him into Made in Japan again, but this time Tanahashi is ready and counters back to the straight jacket German for a, another two count, uh, which I, I love when they do like little spots that are like, you know, I've made this rant before, but callbacks in the same match to me are even better than callbacks to prior matches. And like, you know, this was a callback to something that happened like two minutes before that. But, you know, it's always great when it's like a wrestler figures out the counter and it's like, well, now I have this, uh, I'm ready for the counter and I'm going to counter back. So that's the kind of shit I love. Uh, but Ta- Tanahashi finally hits Sling Blade, goes up top, goes for the high fly flow, cross body, but Shingo kind of catches him. I mean, they it did kind of mess this up. It didn't look super bad or anything. It just kind of looks like Shingo backed up and didn't go down for the cross body and then just powered him straight under his shoulders. It would have looked better if he had caught him in midair and actually held him. Yeah. So you kind of have to take, a, I guess, like a half point off of that spot, but it didn't look horrible or anything. But yeah, then he no, got yeah, I, I think Shingo was just like straight up supposed to catch him and then like put him up for the DVD. And yeah. I think they just, I don't know, like someone screwed up there. But I think, I don't think it was like, I don't think it like took away from the match really, but it was like probably like the most notable like screw up in the match. Uh, yeah, but he ends up dropping him with Death Valley Driver. Uh, and then he follows up with a running Larry in the corner, close to full force, although he does sell the leg afterward. It's been a while since he had any leg work, so I guess that's fine. He then puts Tanahashi in a dragon sleeper as we get the 30-minute call. And then as Tanahashi uh, climbs up the ropes, you know, or climbs up to the ropes with his legs, like he's going to try to counter it, Shingo gets this huge smile and then gives Tanahashi his version of the GTR. Uh, that was a great moment. I, I mean, just the, the smile on his face where he's like, ha, you walked right into my trap, and then delivers the GTR. That was awesome. Uh, Shingo... Then hits each side of the ropes before hitting an incredible full force pumping pumping bomber for another two count. Uh, he goes for last last of the dragon yet again. Tanahashi fights out of it. Uh, Shingo immediately responds with like a big standing lariat. Then starts like throwing these slaps. Uh, Tanahashi counters with his own forearm shots, but Shingo lays into him with alternating forearms. And then Tanahashi responds with his own hard slap. And they keep trading blows. You can. You know, hear people audibly reacting at this point against the rules. Uh, Shingo hits another lariat. Tanahashi hits a, the dragon suplex. Shingo no-sells it, but Tanahashi runs it with a sling blade and covers. Only gets a one count. Shingo pops right up and hits, hits another lariat, but Tanahashi also kicks out at one. Now, I can see that spot annoying people. Uh, you know, it can see it being a little goofy to some people. But I thought that... What I thought they were trying to do there was... Because I saw a lot of people say that this was a very Tanahashi style of match and not a never style of match, you know? I thought that was, they were trying to make that their never spot. Like, you know, their... Yeah, no. That's absolutely what that was. And, like, that was very much, like, like, same with, like, I think a bit earlier in the match where, like, Tanahashi just, like, does, like, a shoot headbutt. And, like, I think that was, like, essentially, like, the nods to, like, the never style of matches. And what I also, like, because we talked about commentary a bit earlier as well, like what I loved about that spot afterwards as well, where like where uh, ELP uh, just screams uh, "fighting spirit," and I, f- I think at that stage was also like because obviously he's like a huge wrestling nerd as well, and I think at that point he was just like getting really into the match as well, and just like was just screaming at the top of his lungs. Yeah. So that was kind of funny as well. Yeah, so I thought that was like like yeah, like just totally. I had no problem with that spot. I mean, just a 
a last gasp and that from both guys and a bit of what upsmanship, you know, driving to the point of these quick kickouts. And then Shingo and Tana finally both get back up. They collide in the middle with Lariat, neither man going down. That was awesome, too. And Tanahashi hits another slap. Shingo answers with yet another standing Lariat that just wipes him out. And I really just had no idea who was winning this match at this point, which is rare for me in some of these New Japan big matches where, like, it, it kind of feels like it's obvious by this point. But, like, yeah, I, I mean, they both kept escaping each other's finishers, and they both, you know, just kind of felt like it could go either way here. And then Shingo goes for Last of the Dragon again. Tanahashi counters in midair with a sling blade. He goes back up and finally hits the standing high fly flow crossbody. Just, just as we get the 35-minute mark, hits a dragon suplex hold for like a 2.999999 count. Really close. And then Tanahashi goes up, hits the high fly flow to the front, and that finally gets the pin. Uh, pretty fucking incredible match here. I really consider going four and three quarters. Ultimately, I think there were like too many flaws to go quite that high. I mean, they easily could have cut some of the dueling legwork stuff out, even though some of that was quite good, but it didn't ultimately mean anything for the match. And it, you know, it means you can nitpick with some of it, especially Shingo, you know, blowing it off to do his usual running stuff toward the end. And there were a couple other spots I mentioned throughout that didn't look great in the in the first half, especially, but also obviously that catch spot. So to me, that that takes it down to four and a half. But I mean, you know, four and a half. I mean, it's still a fucking awesome match. Uh, one of my favorite matches of the year so far. And, you know, these two had an incredible match here. I mean, just, you know, I would say lived up to expectations. Anytime you're at a four-and-a-half-star match, you had a match that, uh, you know, is going to go down as one of the best matches of the year. So just a really, really awesome match here. Yeah. No, I, I really, really liked it as well. Like, it didn't quite reach, like, met, like because I saw some people hype this up as a potential match of the year candidate, and I don't think it reached that level for me like, well, for at it, all. Like, I think I think it's would it, like would it make my would it, hmm? I was gonna Sorry? say I think it'll make like the lower half of my list. It could because I like four and a half stars is enough to make like you know six through ten usually on my list. So it'll be in contention. Maybe like I mean it definitely would make my list if we ended the year right now, but we're also still in January. <laughs> yeah. So I doubt it would still be on my list like by the end of the year. Like even if I would rank it uh, among like New Japan matches this year, this would be like my number four right now. And if it's my number four at the end of January, then, like, I don't have much hope for it surviving through the rest of the year. So, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I liked it well enough, but it just wasn't, like, that... It didn't reach that upper echelon for me. Like, it, it wasn't even, like, my favorite Shingo match this year so far. That's true. Like, because that's still Shingo, Shingo Cop. It's, like, way better than this. Yeah. But it was still, like, a great match, obviously. Like, it was still, like, an amazing... Like, it was definitely a well-deserved main event. And, like, a great way to, like, end Shingo's reign as well. Although I have a feeling that Tanahashi's reign as never champion uh, yeah. won't be very long. But, we'll, we'll yeah, get to I, I assume we'll talk about that next. Yeah. I mean, I, just looking at my spreadsheet, it's it's top five for me right now because I have, like, for January, obviously, it's only one month then. I have Naito Ibushi at four and three quarters. That's my highest rated match of the year. It's the only match I have that high. And then I have four matches of four and a half, uh, which were... Suwama and Yuma Aoyagi from January 3rd in All Japan. And the other three are all New Japan matches. Uh, Shingo and Jeff Cobb, uh, Taiji Shimori and Hiromu Takahashi. Both of those are on 1-5. And the Shingo versus Tanahashi match here. So I'd have to think about where I'd rank it right now. I mean, I think I think I liked it better than Suwama and Aoyagi. And then it would come down to 
this or uh, Ishimori and Hiromu for number three. Because, yeah, I think Shingo Cobb is number two. And then, obviously, Naito Ibushi is number one. But, uh, you know, like you said, it's only it's only January, so yeah. uh, it'll be tough for all four of those matches, especially to really stay on my top ten list at the end of the year. But, uh, yeah. you know, Naito I, Ibushi... I actually kind of forgot about Naito Ibushi as well, so I actually it might actually be, like, my number five New Japan match, I guess. Yeah. In that case, because I have, like, I have Ibushi White first, Shingo Cobb, Okada, Osprey, and then I would have Naito versus Ibushi, and then I guess I would have this match. Yeah. I, I would have to think about if I would rank this or Hiromu versus Ishimori ahead, but, like, I think I probably would give this match the edge as, like, the number five right now. Mm. But, yeah, I don't know. Naito, Naito Ibushi, to me, is, like, the only one of these January matches that is pretty much guaranteed to be there at the end of the year for me, so... Uh, let's see here. What do we got in up? Oh, well, the post-match attack, obviously. Uh, so Shingo and Tanahashi, you know, they both say they want one more match afterwards. So you're thinking, oh, maybe they'll do a rematch at Castle Attack. And then Tanahashi starts doing his, um, you know, he does air guitar with the, the Never Belt for the first time ever. Because, by the way, we didn't we didn't mention this, but this was the fir- not just the first time Tanahashi won the Never Openweight title. It was the first time he ever challenged for this title. He'd never challenged for the never openweight title in his entire career. So, uh, you know, he'd never been involved with this belt before. So I I thought that was interesting. But yeah, he played air guitar with the never title here. And then uh, the great Okan ran out and attacked Tanahashi just as he was about to say, you know, the Aishimas call. And, you know, uh, I have to say Kevin Kelly, amazing call on English commentary. When he, he was so angry, he just like was yelling, you know, you son of a bitch. Uh, he's just very, very angry. And, you know, Milano on Japanese commentary, too, because I heard that one, too, when I watched the promos, was, like, very angry, too. So, like, you know, good anger on both commentators here for uh, Okan laying out Tanahashi. But, yeah, I, I did get sparred on the attack because, like, I, after the match was over, I was, like, so uh, eager to see other people's takes because I was like, okay, I rated this four and a half. I wonder how many people are higher than me or lower than me. And, you know, I, I logged right on to try to see and not even thinking about the possibility of post-match angle. And then I check, I guess, like, probably the Voice <laughs> Wrestling account or something. And they're like, oh, yeah, the great Ocon didn't wasn't that attack awesome. I'm like, oh, well, too bad I got that throw for me. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Ocon, you know, just a, still a great angle. Though. I mean, he just fucking looks yeah. like a million bucks in his, like, that same suit thing he was wearing to lay out Okada when he debuted and, you know, the crowd was was very angry. I mean, you could hear them yelling, even though they're not supposed to. Uh, just a great, great angle. I mean, look, we haven't gotten to his other match yet, but it is pretty impossible to book a top heel, a new top heel, any better than they booked Okan here. I mean, he seals Hiros- oh, yeah. Hiroshi Tenzan's uh, Mongolian chop clean as a whistle, which is, uh, you know, that is a ballsy call to make, whether Tenzan's going to retire soon or not. That is a, you know, a, a real ballsy call. And then comes out at the end of the main event, lays out Tanahashi, grabs the never belt and says, give me this never belt. And, you know, you instantly have a rematch from the Tokyo Dome. But he even taunted him with that. He was like, did you really think this was over from the Tokyo Dome? I did think it was <laughs> over from the Tokyo Dome for now. So I was stunned when this happened. But yeah, uh, really, really like fantastic booking. For as much shit as people gave Gato last year and the New Japan booking, I mean, the way they booked Okan so far has been pretty much perfect. So... Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, like, I would put the, like, likelihood that he's going to win to be, like, very high. Yeah. 
because it wouldn't make sense for him to like lose to Tanahashi twice this quickly like that like I don't think it would damage him because obviously he's like still like really new and everything and he can like recover from like almost anything but like the way they're pushing him like because to me like from like the way his gimmick is and his like look and obviously the fact that and like his moves as well like they very clearly see him as like the next Tenzan and like obviously Tenzan is like a really big deal in New Japan like especially to like Japanese fans probably even more so than like overseas fans and like it seems very clear that they see him as like the guy that will inherit that role and like I and like taking like the title from Tanahashi like immediately in like what would probably be considered a shock like I think that just feels like the perfect move to make right now yeah so I mean that should be I mean that that would be a title match one of the two castle attack shows for sure uh, and that'll be, uh, you know, I, I do, I do agree that Ocon will likely win the never title, which I, I predicted that for him back in the start of the year. And people told me, I was like, people said that, uh, you know, no, uh, I think, you know, Jeff Cobb's going to be busy with that belt and blah, blah, blah. But now, I mean, it's, it's working out the way I predicted. I thought, I thought Ocon would win the never title this year and that's kind of what's happening. So, yeah. uh, semi-main event. This is a match. I think, uh, a lot of, I've seen a lot of divergent opinions on, Will Ospreay defeats Satoshi Kojima in sixteen fifty seven with the Stormbreaker. Um, so this match, look, I I get why people love this match, and you know it, the voice wrestling Slack, especially when I logged in there and saw a lot of people loving that match, I was really not surprised because it just seemed like the kind of match that would be up their alley, uh, and you know they they like Osprey a lot more than I like Osprey generally. Uh, it does have a lower, a slightly lower average on grapple than I would have expected. Um, so the grapple average for the main event right now uh, is four point six four, so even higher than I had it. Uh, for the semi-main, it's only three point eight seven, which is still very good. I mean, still close to four stars, but like I would have thought, you know, especially by looking at the slack, I would have thought like it would be even higher. Um, but yeah, as far as like, you know, this match, I, I mean, all it comes down to, to for me is first of all, you know, I. A garbage match is not what I tuned into New Japan for. I mean, this one wasn't bad the genre or anything, but like it's just not what I really want out of New Japan for wrestling. And, and you know, when Osprey pulls that ladder out and like nails Kojima with it and like yells like "What's my name?" or whatever, it just f- kind of felt like, first of all, wh- you know, why? Why are we having like a, a ladder in New Japan for wrestling? Like, what? Why is a ladder under the ring in New Japan when you know it's not like this is a company that like does these matches or does ladder matches? Like when Osprey brought out all these weapons with him, right? You know that kind of makes sense because it's like, well, you're coming into a no DQ match, but like all these other promotions that reg- that have hardcore matches, you know, regularly, it makes sense that they would have all these weapons under the ring. But like, why is there a ladder under the ring right now? Why was there? I don't know if he brought out the guitar, if the guitar was under the ring. Maybe he brought out the guitar. But, like, it's just, like, all these different, like, weapons that were under the ring. It was just, like, very bizarre. It's, like, if maybe... Yeah, I, think, I think the guitar was, like, among the things that Osprey actually okay. brought out with him. That but, like, the ladder, no, I agree. That that also was, like, the shittiest-looking ladder you've ever seen. <laughs> like, 
that was very clear that that was only a ladder that was supposed to be used for wrestling spots because you <laughs> definitely can't couldn't have used it for anything else because and it I'm looked sure... so flimsy that like if anyone would have tried to climb it it would have immediately <laughs> collapsed and i'm sure that that sounds like a nitpick to people so that's fine but it's just not the kind of match i want to see in new japan it's just like why is there a ladder under here why is there all this crap under here? Uh, at one point, they did, you know, th- th- like uh, they blew the they blew what I consider to be one of the big spots of the match, um, where Kojima hits the Koji cutter, goes for a lariat, but Osprey gets like a very sloppy counter into the powerbomb position. I mean, that's a spot that he's done uh, many times. It usually looks good, but it was like completely blown here. Like you know what I'm talking about, right? When he did that, like. He does that like counter of a lariat where like he goes over the top of you into the power bomb, but here like he almost fell oh, down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he almost fell down. It looked down. like he was just like a he, he was just like a step off or something. Yeah, yeah. like he almost he fell was down. Just in the wrong it looked, position. It looked really bad. Um, you know, and just like watching Osprey like break a guitar over Kojima's head, like he's fucking Jeff Jarrett. Uh, <laughs> and then instead of covering him, he decides to go for a table under the ring instead, where it's like I don't know, just very very goofy. Um, and, you know, it's not even just me that found this match goofy, by the way, because at one point, Osprey grabs some chairs from under the ring. You know, he nails Kojima with it. Uh, he's like, you know, he sets up a whole mess of chairs and he like sits Kojima down in them or something. And the crowd starts laughing. And Osprey <laughs> even like reacts to that. He's like, ah, ha, ha. Because I don't think he was expecting that. It's not the reaction they wanted, I'm sure. But like the crowd, no. the, the live crowd found this very goofy. And that's the kind of thing where like, if you love this match, um, you know, I'm not trying to shit on, you know, uh, your wrestling taste or anything, but like, I do think it's one of these things where like, it, it, it probably works better for Western fans that are used to this type of thing than it works for New Japan fans who are, you know, this, this kind of match does not happen in New Japan very often. And, you know, the crowd laughing at that spot where like Osprey is, you know, pr- about to try to do this like seated dive or whatever to Kojima while he's sitting on the chairs. It's like, that's an example of how the, like this... The crowd just was not into this on the level, um, you know, of like a serious, like, you know, big match. Just, you know, no. it was it was very goofy to them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff. Like, okay, Osprey, like, power bombs Kojima through the table and then hits the Oz cutter and Kojima kicks out. And that's, like, again, very silly because it's like an Oz cutter after the power bomb through a table. Couldn't put away a New Japan dad. It's, like first of all like burying that move uh and second of all it just it just was very like that was like really too much for me um and then you know osprey at one point takes a very nasty bump uh through the ladder at ringside which was you know definitely a really really sick bump now elp i praised him in the last match he probably should have sold that as a commentator instead of doing his terrible jr impression uh when he and osprey fell oh, like that was not I- the time that, that was legitimately my least favorite call of the entire, <laughs> like, of, of, that he did. Like, there's actually another call that he made that I'm going to defend, like, a bit late, like, when I'm going to give my thoughts on the match. But, like, that call was just terrible. Yeah, he did, like, the I cringed when I, I cringed when he did that. I was like, no, just, nah, no. <laughs> he did the by guy, he's broken in half. Like, first of all, it was not even a good JR impression. And second of all, that's not the time to do that. I mean, this man, you know, just fucking killed himself at the spot. And you made it into a joke. I mean, it was just... Yeah. Uh, and then Marty Asami starts counting Osprey out. Why are there countouts in a no-DQ match? That usually implies no countouts, too. And he hasn't done any countouts the entire match. Like, first of all, I, I thought he was doing, like, a 10-count knockout. Uh, but then he got past 10 and kept going. So it was a 20-count ring-out count. 
And, you know, Kojima ends up deciding he doesn't want to win that way and, you know, picks Osprey up and brings him back in the ring. It, that just felt, like, really silly and really unnecessary. Another, th- another problem I have with this match. Um, but, yeah, there's, like, you know, Osprey, despite, uh, you know, being dead a moment ago, somehow kicks out of the uh, brain buster on the chair pile right after that. You know, despite the fact, again, that he was dead and not moving after going through the ladder. Just really, really silly stuff uh, down the stretch here. And then Osprey suddenly recovers, you know, again, despite being dead moments ago, and goes for their Oz cutter. Kojima lariats him out of midair. Definitely a cool counter, at least. Uh, but then Osprey, so he slides under another lariat attempt from Kojima. He throws a chair at him, and Kojima holds it there, just like every fucking dumb RVD opponent over the years, for Osprey to hit the hidden blade, the running hidden blade. Uh, I guess it'd really just be the blade, because it's not hidden when you're doing it from the front. <laughs> Uh, but you know that it's a move that looks like it would hurt himself as much as his opponent. But uh, which he then adds a normal hidden blade from behind, and then hits the Stormbreaker for the pen. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I really didn't know how to rate this one. I mean, like, you know, obviously, obviously, some of the spots were cool. Uh, I just don't turn into New Japan to see cool garbage wrestling spots with no real story, and a lot of the spots were just stupid. Like you know, Osprey taking that giant bump through the ladder. Uh, sounding like he's dead, only to immediately recover back in the ring. Uh, you know, I slapped three stars on this ultimately as for the uh, for the bumps of the effort, but I'm sure others were much higher on than me. Uh, you know, just just not a not a match I loved. Just not a not not something that I'm I'm, I'm sure like Joe Lanz is going to rave about it on the on the flagship this week, but just it wasn't a match that I loved at all. But, yeah, and for me, it's also like. Uh, like I saw all of the hype that this match got like in the slack and everything and when I actually watched it I came away like roughly like underwhelmed uh, uh, but just before I forget it as well like the, the call from ELP that I actually really really liked in this match was uh, when Kojima did the elbow from the top uh, uh, onto the chair and he was like he like hurt his elbow doing that and like ELP actually gave like a really good explanation of like what happened there where he was like, well, obviously Kojima like has no experience doing these kinds of matches. So he hit the wrong side of the chair. So it actually hurt his elbow as well, instead of just hurting Osprey. And I thought that was actually a really good explanation of what happened. And I really, really liked that one. But yeah, otherwise the match, I mean, as you mentioned, like it is very much, or it felt to me very much like a WWE, like hardcore match. I just don't like these type of matches at all. Yeah. Like I'm a deathmatch guy. Like I really like like Japanese death matches. And there's also like quite a few like American death matches that I really, really like. Like I had like Ricky Shane Page versus Matt Raymond like on my top ten list, like for the uh, match of the year poll. And so like I I'm a really big fan of like a really good deathmatch, but like the WWE style of hardcore matches just isn't that at all. Like, it's just a bunch of, like, contrived spots and everything. And, like, I did, like, the start of the match that had, like, it showed, like, that weirdly this has been, like, the hottest feud in the promotion. Where, like, these two just, like, started out where, like, Osprey teased, like, him diving onto Kojima during his entrance and everything. And that was really, really cool. And then both just kind of started laying into each other. And I thought, like, oh, yeah, this match is going to be really, really cool. And then it was just kind of, like, an extreme rules main event from like 2011 or something 
and that just isn't the type of match that I like. Like because I'm just not a fan of the WWE style. Like regardless of the match stipulation, there's very very few like of these WWE style matches that ever really connect with me very very strongly. And this just felt too much like that. Like it obviously both men tried hard, so I can't really say that it was a bad match, but it was just an okay match. But I guess at least maybe Kojima managed to like make his case to be in G1 this year. Hopefully, maybe, maybe. Come on, he needs one last <laughs> ride because he's still really, really good. So that's probably the best thing I took away from this match. Uh, match number three: The Great Okan defeats Hiroshi, Ten- Hiroshi Tenzan in 12:45 with the Dominator. Uh, of course, this was the Mongolian Chop contra mongolian chop match so tenzan can no longer use the chop i thought this was good i mean this match has a pretty poor rating on cage match or uh gravel right now like 2.97 i thought it was quite a bit better than that um you know okan uh you know just was working over tenzan to start with various holds that was probably the most boring part of the match is just kind of like was putting on one one hold after another for like the first five minutes or so but tenzan you know came back with a nice mule kick uh, starts laying into Okan with the Mongolian chops, uh, which sends him rolling to the floor to escape. And then he beats on him back in the ring, even rakes uh, Okan's eyes, which, you know, I really like him showing off, like, you know, this man used to be a big heel. I mean, you know, for a lot of his career, he was a heel with, uh, you know, first with uh, Okani Gundan and NWO Japan and Team 2000. And of course, he found a great bash heel. I don't think he was in Black New Japan. I think that was the one. He finally wasn't in, but uh, yeah, I mean, he was a lot of using the heel units for a lot of his career, and you know, he definitely got to show off some of that vicious streak here. Um, he used Okan's ponytail for leverage as well, and then gave him this awesome like knee-assisted bulldog off the middle rope that looked nasty. So, and then did a diving Mongolian chop off the second rope for good measure. Uh, he called for the TTD. Okan escaped and gave him uh, the that front Russian uh, leg sweep, which, of course, is the stroke, as ELP noted. That was pretty funny. He's like, you just gave him the stroke. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> uh, he tries for the Dominator. Tenzan fights that with Mongolian chops. Okan hits his own chop, and they finally have the Mongolian chop off. I like that they made people wait for that. I thought they were going to do that like, right from the opening bell, but they really made people wait for the Mongolian chop off. So I think that was probably actually smart in hindsight. And Tenzan suddenly hits, like, a nice running Larry out of nowhere uh, as this match at this point have really picked up from those first five minutes. And Tenzan gets the Anaconda Vice on, followed by the Anaconda Vice Buster for a two-count as we get the 10-minute call. He goes for the Moonsault. Okan rolls out of the way. Tenzan honestly barely fully rotated, so thank God he just made it around and didn't break his neck. Uh, Okan tries for the TTD again. But eats a headbutt right to the face from Tenzan. Really stiff one. And then Tenzan goes for his own TTD. Okan rolls out of it. Hits a bicycle kick. Uh, that was kind of a glancing blow. What can you do? He covers for a two count. And then hits his neck-breaking TTD of death uh, from New Year's Dash. But Tenzan kicks out at two again. And finally Okan hits the Dominator. And that is the pin. Uh, yeah, I, this, I thought this was a pretty damn good match by the end. I mean, Tenzan worked super hard with his limitations. Okan was great as the cocky dickhead who almost got shown up, but ended up putting him away, uh, you know, pretty decisively in the end. 
So I went three and a half on this. I thought it was a, a damn good match. Uh, you know, definitely about as good as you can do with Tenzan at this point. And after the match, Okan, you know, tosses Urimura aside, taunts Tenzan and stomps on him. And then Tenzan does a great job looking upset after Okan leaves too. So, uh, yeah, the cl- crowd was really like loudly clapping for him afterwards. So, in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from Arena Club. Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Yeah, no, this was a ton of fun. I agree. Like this was, I I thought this was the second best match on the show, yep, and probably the third best match among uh, like across like the two shows that we're reviewing today. And like Tenzan worked really hard to put Okan over. 
like obviously that's like the goal of the match is like to put Okan over as like the next big guy and I think that worked really really well here like obviously Tenzin is like limited at this stage of his career but I think he really like pulled out all of the stops that he still has and he really like went all out to like really try and like make a guy and I think he achieved that as well like Okan got put over strongly here and as I mentioned before like became very apparent when they started this feud that like the new Japan really sees him as like the next Tenzan essentially and this is even more apparent now that he has like the Mongolian chops. Uh, match number two the team of Kota Ibushi, Tomoaki Hama, Sho and Master Wato defeat the LIJ team of Sonata, Naito, Hiromu and Bushi. Uh, Sho pins Bushi in 11.32 with the shock arrow. This is pretty good. Um you know, there was a, uh, you know, diff- not not like uh, anything that you have to watch or anything. I mean, you know, definitely skimmable. But, you know, the LIJ was, like, working over Hama for a while. Uh, Naito was, like, really targeting Hama's neck. And then all four members just stunt the crap out of him. And that's the side of LIJ I like to see. And I haven't really seen much of from uh, Sonata and Hiromu throughout this tour in particular before this match. But I guess Naito just brings it out of them. Um but yeah, Ibushi gets a real nice hot tag. He just like flips all over the place. He takes out Hiromu and Bushi on the apron. Uh, goes after his title opponent, Sonata. Uh, Sonata. Sonata fights back. We get some pretty decent back and forth action with the two of them. Uh, nothing that will make you like circle February 11th on, with like red in red ink on your calendar or anything like that. But good stuff. Uh, Hiromu and Sho tag in and bring even more excitement with like their really fast paced like striking and uh running around, and I'm looking forward to that match more, honestly, on February 10th, so that should be really good. And then Sho pins Bushi with the shock arrow for the win. Fun little match here. I would go about three and a quarter. Uh, a big improvement on the opener, which we're going to mention in a second. Yeah, no. Uh, I like that this match really put, like, a little bit more development, a little bit more heat on, like, one of the biggest feuds in the company, which is obviously Naito uh, versus Honma. <laughs> It's so, so weird. That it was is nice so because weird it, how much how much it, more yeah. focused that feud has gotten than any of the actual top feuds. So the, it like, got more it got more focus in this match than like <laughs> the fucking title program did. It's so weird. Like yeah. I, Ibushi Ibushi and Sonata barely interacted, and like it just feels like I don't know. <laughs> I I'm kind of baffled by how they booked this title match. Like obviously, like Sonata doesn't have like the snowballs chance in hell to like win the match, but like. They could at least try and present him as a credible challenger, <laughs> and they just have chosen not to do that. Yeah, the, the Sonata build is really weird. I have no idea what they're doing or what the point of it is. Uh, but yeah, EOP in this match really annoyed the shit out of me. And like, he had one line in the pre-match. Like at this point, I, I actually wrote down he might be the worst commentator of all time. He might actually be worse as a commentator than he is as a wrestler. But. Uh, like I said, he improved a lot in the last three matches. But between these two matches, I was really mad. Uh, at one point, he says, Abushi looks like he's carved out of granite, which is ironic since he's dumb as a rock. How would that be ironic? I, I, think, <laughs> I think the word you're actually looking for is fitting. But I mean, I, it's possible I'm being, like, worked here and his, he's suppo- he did that on purpose to sound stupid. Like, he's supposed to sound like a dumb troll or whatever. But, like... Yeah, you sound like an idiot, buddy. I don't think that was a really bad line. Uh, but yeah, this was, a, this was a good little match. The opener, last thing we were talking about here, this was not that great of a match uh, at all. Uh, 
Toriano and Katsuchika Okada defeating Evil and Yujiro Takahashi. Yano pins Yujiro in 740 with a schoolboy. Uh, Okada was like in extra goofy mode with the clapping before the match for some reason. Just had a really goofy one on in general in this match. And it's like, buddy, aren't you supposed to like really want a match with Evil? Like, aren't you supposed to, isn't your character right now supposed to be like mad that Evil won't give you the singles rematch? from beating you in the New Japan Cup final because you don't seem that mad to me you sound like an idiot you seem like an idiot right now and like he went after Dick Togo and he and Yano threw him in the ring they gave him a very gentle like even more gentle than usual version of that drumming thing the chaos guys do the drumming on the back and just it's just real goofball shit and the match was like really dull lots of shenanigans not much else going on uh and Yano eventually low blows you and gets the pin while he's fighting with Dick Togo over the fucking pimp cane uh, poor, really poor open here. Nothing much going for it. I, I went like two stars, just not good at all. And then afterwards, Goofball Okada uh, plays the drums with his thunder sticks. Uh, like, does anyone? Okay, we have a great comparison here. Okada and Naito both doing nothing on this tour. Naito's doing nothing is like having this cool feud with Hanma, which is about the best anyone could get out of Tomaki Hanma uh, at this stage of his career. And, you know, actually kind of having fun with it and, like, really, like, you know, doing some great promos, too. Like, saying, you know, all this stuff about is your effort really enough and, you know, really kind of making a, a fun little story out of it. And, you know, working, like, you know, really vicious on him during these matches. Okada's idea of doing nothing, you're matched up with, uh, I guess, the top heel in the company, especially with Jay White not here. I mean, whatever you want to say about evil, it's a lot easier to have a interesting and good feud with evil than it is with fucking Tomaki Hanma and Okada is doing a much worse job at having an interesting and good feud with evil than Naito is with Tomaki Hanma I just want to make that make that point because like you know I get that they're stalling here until you know they're actually gonna do the singles match probably at Castle Attack but man like you know can't you just take this seriously or something like stop acting like a fucking dipshit like, it just like it is, it was actually making me kind of mad. It's like, you're not matched up with, like, uh, you know, a low-ranked guy here. You're matched up against a guy who was double champion, you know, a few months ago. Like, you could take it a little more seriously than, you know, oh, here's, the, I'm playing drums with the Thundersticks. Da, da, da. I don't know. Just very, very bizarre shit from Okada here. And I just think it's a very uh, interesting comparison here with, like, you know, both Okada and Naito are not featured on this tour, obviously, but what Naito is doing while not being featured is a lot more interesting than what Okada is doing. So, look, what this tells me that both like Sonata and like Evil Feuds right now are kind of bad, and that both of them are probably going to lose like their big match, their big singles matches coming up as well. It's like obviously what this is going to lead to is like soon, like they're both going to meet up and be like, you know what. We just can't cut it as singles, guys. Let's just be a mediocre tag team that works for, like third from the top. And let's just be that for the rest of our careers. And you know what? I think I can be happy with that if they come to that conclusion. <laughs> I love I love that tag team. I don't even think it's mediocre. But uh... I don't know. I remember at Dominion when like okay, Evil that and match Sonata sucks. came out and everyone <laughs> went to the toilet. Literally everyone. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You think that was about Evil and Sonata and not their opponents? Well... <laughs> I, people st- wait I don't remember did they start going to the toilet when Evil and Sonata's music hit or did they start going to the toilet when the G.O.D. music hit they know what the match is though I mean look Sonata, <laughs> Sonata finished seventh in the uh, the weekly pro wrestling uh, like most popular wrestler poll 
True. I mean, Where did evil finish again? Like, like 57th, 48th or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's fallen way off. since. Look, going from LIJ to Bullet Club is not going to help your popularity. I mean, it is. But like, where did like White and Kenta finish? White finished 22nd. I think Kenta, Kenta finished pretty high, actually. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly where, but you're, you're right. Kenta did finish pretty high. White, I think, was like 21st, 22nd. Uh, yeah. You know. That's a bit concerning that, like, the guy that is supposed to be, like, the head of Bullet Club just, like, falling into the abyss, like, yeah. immediately after yeah. what was technically the biggest year of his career. No, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, I, I was pretty stunned it was he was that low. But, uh, you know, I mean, you can tell when you're at, when you watch these shows that he, he has his fans. I mean, these people show up with the uh, with banners and stuff. But, yeah, they, the weekly pro wrestling readership is not among them, apparently, because he finished very low on that poll. Uh, but yeah, that was New Beginning to Goya. I thought a a strong show with it. I mean, the main event is must watch. I think the rest of it is, you know, pretty skippable. I mean, some of you probably liked Kojima Osprey a lot better than I did. I mean, I would watch Tenzan Okan. I think that's like just a yeah. great, a great last performance. I, I, think, for... I think that match even more like, like it's a good match, not a great match, but I think it's like an important match. Yeah. Like, because like you can see it as like the start of like Okan's big push. I think you need to watch it just for like historical purposes, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the upcoming New Japan schedule. So they're back at Corican for three straight nights this week. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on Road to New Beginning. Uh, the main event on Monday. We, so basically now G.O.D. and um, the Dangerous Techers are back on the tour. So, I mean, they haven't been on the tour at all so far. They're back for the first time since New Year's Dash. So the main event on Monday is an elimination match. Uh, G.O.D., Ishimori, Fantasmo, and Jado for some reason, against the Dangerous Tech. Oh, Jado because the Doki feud. Jado and Doki are having a feud, everybody. <laughs> One of the weirdest feuds of all time. Anyway, so the five of them are up against uh, T- Dangerous Techers, Taichi and Zack, Desperado and Kanemaru, and Doki in an elimination match. That could be kind of fun. I actually kind of am curious what a Suzuki Goon versus Bullet Club elimination match will look like so uh the oh, other there's few... gonna be so much cheating in that match it, yeah. it's probably gonna be actually kind of fun but yeah. yeah holy shit the amount of interference is gonna be nuts it's only a four match card because of the elimination match and they you know have to go two hours but yeah then uh you know pretty standard stuff otherwise uh and then the tuesday show at another elimination match main event this time it's a uh, chaos against bullet club so okada yano goto ishii and yoshihashi Against Evil, G.O.D., Yujiro, and Dick Togo. Uh, again, not nothing really of note on the undercard. Uh, Taguchi to Rebirth against the Junior Tag Champions. That's, I guess, something different. Uh, Ishimori and Phantasma. I don't know if it, that'll lead to something there, but probably not. They'll probably just lose. And then Wednesday, we have uh, Ibushi and Master Watto against Sonata and Bushi as the main event. With Naito and Show against... Uh, or Naito and Hiromu against... Hanma and show is a semifinal. Uh, and then they take a weird, like, five days off. They come back on Monday, February 8th with a fourth Corican show. Uh, and that one's headlined by Ibushi and show against Sonata and Hiroma, which that could be really good, actually. That's, like, the clearly the biggest tag of the of the, of the the tour. So, uh, you know, straight up two versus two. And then you have Hanma. Yeah, that hopefully should be good. And hopefully that will put some heat on, like, the title match. Yeah. And then Hama and Watto against Naito and Bushi, semifinal. Uh, and then a six-man with Dangerous Techers and Doki against G.O.D. and Jado. Uh, and then after that, of course, we have New Beginning and Hiroshima. So that'll be Wednesday, February 10th. 
that is headlined by Hiromu versus Show for the junior title, and then a semi-main event of G.O.D. against Taichi and Zack for the tag titles. Hope to God the Dangerous Techers from the belts back. Uh, and then we have Ibushi and Hanma against Sonata and Naito. So, you know, one last hype match there for Ibushi and Sonata. Uh, and then, and also Master Wato versus Bushi, which they've been building all tour. So there you go. Uh, February yeah, that'll 11th, put butts in seat. <laughs> February 11th, the definition of a one-match show uh, on Thursday, February 11th. The main event, Kota Ibushi against Sonata for the heavyweight intercontinental titles. Semi-main event is Dangerous Techers and Doki against G.O.D. and Jado. <laughs> She's like, what a semi-main. Uh, Okada and Yano against Evil and Dick Togo there from the top. I mean, just nothing else on this card. <laughs> so, just all on Ibushi and Sonata. But yeah, and then, uh, you know, you get all three days off before Road to Castle Attack starts. Uh, Sunday, February 14th with the Korokans. And then uh, Castle Attack from Osaka Joe Hall is the end of February. So, yeah, pretty condensed schedule here for New Japan right now. So And we also get a new beginning in USA as well, right? With oh, yeah, yeah. Mox. That's true, too. Yeah, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. So Moxie attacked uh, Kenta on the... Uh, on the, the last episode of New Japan Strong. I, n- I never I never watched New Japan Strong so at this point, so I totally forgot about that. But yes, I, I did actually turn it on just to watch the end of the show to see that. But yeah, uh, Moxie Attack Kenta. I believe that's what, February like 26th or something? It's the end of the month, I remember. It's like the same time as yeah. Castle Attack. So, uh, you know, it's like the day before. So yeah, Saturday, it's Friday, February 26th. So, like the day before Castle Attack, they'll be... I mean, that match is... You know, already taped, so you know it'll happen. Yeah, yeah. It'll air that day. But yeah, I guess. Do you think Kenta will like turn up at Castle Attack? Because obviously, like the match was taped, like probably, like probably, like already, like months ago or like weeks ago. Yeah, it's possible. So like I mean, he could, in theory, make it back to Japan. I mean, Minoru Suzuki teased that he wanted to fight Kenta, so maybe they'll do something to tease to to set that up for the anniversary show on March fourth. I mean, that could be. Yeah, that, that would make something. a ton of sense. Yeah. yeah. So that could that could happen. Because uh, otherwise, I mean, there's really no nowhere else for it to happen. Because after the anniversary show, they go straight to New Japan Cup. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, so that is your New Japan report. Some cool stuff coming up. Uh, a lot of Corkins coming up. I mean, I always tell people people get like, uh, I don't know, people get weirdly mad about the Corkins, but like, do not pay close attention to these Corkins. I mean, you know, they're house shows for the most part. That like they're running because they have to make some money on ticket sales, I presume. Um, I would not recommend watching like all of them like with super close yeah, attention. Right. I put them on as like background noise while I'm working, you know, during the day working from home. So like, and then I pay maybe pay attention to like a main event or something. But yeah, I mean these are not like these are very skippable shows. I mean definitely stuff not not much. Oh much yeah, no. here. like yeah. I skipped a bunch of them and like the ones I've watched, I was like half paying attention while I was like doing a couple of runs in Hades. So yeah, so there you go. There's our new Japan report. Let's move over to Noah for the Higher Ground 2021 show. That was uh, January 31st at Corican Hall. Um, so this actually today, today on Sunday, it was 11.30. It was a, the wonderful 11.30 a.m. Japan start time, which is currently 9.30 p.m. Eastern. So, you know, just a great, great, great time for me to be able to watch it live. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Not for you, no. It was like, what, like 2.30 a.m. or 3.30 a.m. or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so this show, you know, I, the big thing with the show, I mean, this was a lot of hype tags for the upcoming Budokan show. Um, 
you know, there's two matches here that I think are very, very much worth watching, which are the top two matches. The rest of the card, very skippable. So we'll get into that here as we review it. Uh, the main event, starting at the top again, they went quite a long, quite a long time here. The team of Keiji Mudo, Naomichi Marafuji, and Seiki Yoshioka defeating the team of Goshi Ozaki, Kaito Kiyomiya, and Daisuke Arata in 27-15. Muto, uh, I don't know if he pins, what, what, he submitted Shiozaki, right? With the yeah. figure four. So yeah, um, I don't have anything written down here on the, on the results for some reason. But yeah, he submitted Shiozaki, I believe. Um, but yeah, this was a really good six-man. Um, you know, I thought the second best match on the show. And, you know, there, there were parts of it that dragged a little bit, but, you know... They're basically building up three different singles matches here. Obviously, Go versus Muto for the GHC title, uh, but also Kaito versus Marafuji and Harada. Oh, no, is that, yeah, it's a singles match, Kaito versus Marafuji. And Harada versus Yoshioka for the junior title. Yeah. So, you know, oh, no, it's a, it's a tag. I'm sorry. It's Marafuji and Akiyama against Kaito and Itamura. That's what I, that's what I thought it was. I don't know why yeah. I second-guessed myself there. But, yeah, they, they were building up three different matches here. Um so definitely a, uh, you know, good, I thought good build here, uh, especially for the, the two title matches. Uh, you know, Muto, obviously Muto is going to be a little bit slow at, at points. I mean, that's just what it is what it is. I mean, he there was like one kind of embarrassing moment where Muto was trying to catch Go's leg on a kick from the corner and just like completely missed. I mean, like totally whiffed on it. And they both kind of just stood there like they had no idea what to do for a second before Muto finally just grabbed his leg and like did this the, the dragon screw he had obviously planned to do anyway uh but yeah i mean that other than that though i thought he you know muto did about as well as he could have done here um my favorite part of the match was actually for like marifuji kiyomiya you know kiyomiya has this like obviously injured arm um you know marifuji was trying to target it and he ran to this high knee from kiyomiya and then Marafuji came back by countering a tiger suplex attempt with this awesome tiger driver, like, straight into an arm bar. That was so cool. And then he, like, rolled him up into the perfect key lock on the injured arm, right on the injured arm. And, you know, the match was already, like, you know, obviously it went very long. And I think it was, like, probably 15 or 20 minutes in at this point. And I honestly thought that could have been the finish. So, you know, I mean, Kiyomiya did escape. But, yeah, that was a really, really cool sequence. Uh, we had a bunch of – we had an earlier tap-out tease – with Muto getting go in the figure four uh, before Go finally made the ropes. But then all three guys like took turns kicking at Go's leg as a team. That was also really cool. And that led to Muto hitting the Shining Wizard. Only got a two count. And then Muto locked on the figure four and Go submitted. And Muto gets the big win over Go heading into the Budokan. Uh, I, I like No in general is much more willing to have their big guys lose tag matches like this. Like it happens in the semi main event too. And you know, I remember leading up to the uh, leading up to the title match during the N one, uh, Go pinned Nakajima during a tag match too, which was uh, you know definitely not something you expect. But yeah, they're much. It, it, it's kind of like a double edged sword because on one hand, you know, if you don't protect your guys as much, you know, it, it becomes like are they really you know on a different level? But on the other hand, it, it just makes for much less predictable tag matches than you see in like a New Japan, where like obviously. You know, your top stars are never losing falls in those tag matches. But yeah, um, you know, I definitely definitely thought that was interesting and something I wanted to point out. But yeah, this was a really good match. I mean, it took a little bit to get going, but by the end, I was really into it. 
You know, all three pairings did great hype work for Budokan. So I went three and three quarters on this one. Really, really fun. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought this was a really good uh, tag match. And as I said, built like the Budokan show really, really well. Uh, and everyone worked hard. And I'm just kind of curious how this like Go Shiozaki like Muto match is going to go. Because like I would have assumed that like Muto's definitely taking the title off of Go, but now I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah. Because Muto hasn't really been presented as like a super strong challenger. And like he got the tap out victory in this match, obviously. But like if you look at like how he actually got it, it wasn't really like that he was like put over super strongly here either. Because he basically needed like Yoshioka and like Marufuji were like an, in the ring and just like blatantly interfering and just annihilating Go's knee before the finish. And only that's how like Muto actually managed to get the win. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if he is actually taking the title. And I don't think he should take the title off of Go, given the way Go's reign has gone. But I could also still totally see them do it anyway. But, like, I'm definitely less sure that, like, Mojo is taking the title off of Go at this stage. Uh, the semi-main event, Masakatsu Funaki and Masao Tanaka defeating Kano and Manabu Soya. Uh, Funaki gets the ref stoppage uh, with a rear naked sleeper on a rear naked choke, I guess, on Kano in 1801. Uh, and that, of course, again, is set, we already know that Kano is defending the GHC national title, their number two title, against Funaki uh, at the Budokan. But yeah, I mean, this was another... This match was awesome. This was match of the night for me. Uh, you know, Funaki and Kano, they had this really intense standing exchange, and, like, both guys were, like, hitting some really hard kicks and other strikes uh, that were, like, partially blocked. And they ended up on the mat after that for, like, you know, more slow-paced mat work. But that, like, suddenly resulted in, like, this cross-arm breaker tease from Funaki. Uh, but Kano makes the ropes very quickly to break. If you're not familiar with Masakatsu Funaki, uh, you know, he's just such a, you know, he came up through the UWF. He was a big Pancrase guy. He's one of the, you know, the, the early founders of that, along with uh, Minoru Suzuki and some other dudes. And, you know, before he, went back, before he finally went back into pro wrestling uh, in the early 2000s. And, you know, he's just, a, everything he, he does just looks really legit. And he, even as a 51-year-old now, I mean, like, just, he looks really, really good on the mat. His striking looks really, really good. He's just one of these guys that, like, just everything he does looks real. Um, you know, they go back on the mat where Funaki remains dominant. He eventually gets some kind of, like, cravat-like hold that, uh, you know, sends Kuno scurrying to the ropes again. And just, like, really great action throughout, especially from Kano and Funaki. Uh, at one point, much later on, he almost drops Kano right on his head with a backdrop suplex. That was just a huge backdrop. Uh, and, you know, and, and Tana- uh, Tanaka and Soya did some good stuff, too. But, like, to me, the focus here was Kano and Funaki. And Funaki, you know, finally chokes Kano out with the sleeper for the win. Gives him a direct win over the national champion heading into Budokan. And, yeah, I thought this rocked. I mean, I went four stars on it. Might be a little high. But, like, you know, I just thought these... It, it could have been just coming after the first four matches we're going to talk about here. Very quickly, I'm sure. Where, like, it felt like everybody was in first gear the entire night. I mean, these four put in more effort than the any one of the first four matches combined. I mean, so that could have even been, like, maybe maybe primed to like this one even more. But, yeah, I thought this match was awesome. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, this was my second favorite match across. Like, this was my favorite match of this show. 
and it was my second favorite match across both shows that we review and it was just really cool and it's nice to like see Funaki be properly motivated as well like somehow like Noah has like managed to like motivate all of these shooter guys that like normally can have like like sometimes these guys just like don't give a shit like Funaki or Sakuraba as well but somehow like Noah has found a way Nosawa has like found a way to like really get these guys fired up to like try properly and like Funaki when he tries is like one of the best still even at 50 years old yeah. and him was Noah's going to rule so much like I that's probably the match at Budokan that I'm most excited for because these two are just going to like beat the hell out of each other and I also love the finish of this match where Kano got choked out, but because he's thought he has like because he has such a big chip on his shoulder that he just like he go he goes unconscious, but he doesn't close his eyes. Like he go, he gets choked out with his eyes open because he is just so stubborn and refuses to give up that he even re- like while he's unconscious he refuses to close his eyes. I just love Kano. He is just <laughs> awesome. Uh, match number yeah I, I like Kano too Kano's one of these guys that gets like he gets a lot of hate online I, I never really understand it like there's a lot of people on Twitter who think he sucks and yeah I don't I don't really get it I think he kind of rolls but uh I don't know Kano is kind of my, my spirit animal in wrestling because there's a lot of like similarities between him and me I guess like kind of like not small but like like about average height maybe guy who has a bit of a chip on his shoulder yeah, <laughs> a yeah, lot of similarities I don't know. there. Like, I, like, Kano, like, look, he could do some goofy shit sometimes. Like, there was one spot that was going around that looked like it was out of, like, that, that Brit Rez thing or something where they're, like, <laughs> trading way too fast in a way that looks stupid. But I don't know. Most of the time, I really like him. So I, I, I guess I'll yeah, be out like, on my island with Kano. Like, I think, yeah, the, like, the Abima ratings or whatever that they do, right, they always have him, like, intensity at 10, and, like, that's really, like, if you need to sum up, sum him up in one word, it's intensity. Like. Uh, match number four, this was another hype match for the junior tag title match. Uh, the champions, Ogawa and Hayata, teaming up with Susumu from uh, Freedoms, taking on the trio of Kotaro Suzuki, Ikuda Hodaka, and Nosawa Rangai. Uh, it's Kotaro and Hodaka who are getting the title shot. Uh, but yeah, Hayata pins Kotaro in 10:44. Um, this was fine. I don't know. It was uh, actually not even fine. I would say this felt like it was really like really average. I mean, very much stuck in first gear. Um, I really didn't even have anything that was like literally noteworthy until the finish. I didn't take any notes on it other than Hayata uh, spiking Kotaro with with the Rana. Uh, you know his, that short range Rana he does on the mat for the pin. Yeah, I went two and a half. Very average stuff here. Yeah, I don't really have much to say either. Like, I do like that Idakara has been added, apparently, to, like, the Noah Jr. division. Like, he can only help because he's still really, really good. Wasn't he but, like, otherwise, I mean... Hmm? Yeah, he, just... he was in All Japan recently. He had a yeah. match with Iwamoto, yeah. and yeah, gonna... I guess now he's a Noah, so... He gets, all... he gets around. Yeah, he gets around. I mean, it's nice It's it's nice that he finally, like, branches out a bit more because... He was, he was kind of one, one of right? the, like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was, like, one of, like, Japan's, like, junior division like best kept secret in general because yeah. he mostly stuck to zero one so it's nice that like finally and like the tail end of his career he like finally gets out there and actually gains some notoriety and then i don't know otherwise it's noah's junior division so i guess like just predicting something random i guess ogawa's gonna turn on hayata and join back with kataro suzuki because why not 
but yeah, the third match here. This was the big disappointment for me on the card. Uh, the Aggression, Kazuko Nakajima and Masa Kitamiya defeating Takachi Sugera and Kendo Kashin. Uh, Kitamiya pinning Sugera in 14-16 with the Saito Suplex. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, There's some hard kicking with Nakajima and Sugera, as you'd expect. Um, but there really wasn't a lot else to this match for me, especially for, like, you know, if you told me these four guys, they go 14 minutes, uh, I would be into it. But, like, I just thought, you know, it rarely got out of first gear again, besides a few of those Nakajima Sugira kicking sequences, and just wasn't a lot to it again. So I went I went three stars. It was fine. You know, gentleman's three. But I, I would have thought this would be, like, you know, three and a half easy. So Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not going to lie. I actually watched most of these, like, undercard matches on the show at like 1.7 speed because Ibima <laughs> gives you that option and I actually was like slowing it down when like when uh, Nakajima came out because like you can't play his theme at 1.7 speed like you need to listen to that properly but then Kendo Kashin came out and was immediately like oh yeah okay no never mind and just put the speed right back up and yeah it was fine it was nothing special and it's still curious that they don't have a tag title match at Budokan but whatever but I guess this will be like the next tag title match since uh, Kitamiya pinned uh, Segura. And I think that's more to, like the point you made earlier, that Noah isn't afraid to like to pin the bigger stars. Because they easily could have had Kendo Kashan take the pin here, but they had Segura pin. So yeah, I guess that's a good way to set up the match at least. It's not going to be the tag title match at Budokan. It's going to be in your, your Yogi apparently. Yeah, yeah, no, there is no tag title match at Budokan because the Budokan match afterwards, I guess. Yokohama Budokan. Yokohama Budokan is where it's going to happen, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I like Kendo Kashin and, you know, I like all four of these guys, so I expected better, but just really, there really wasn't much to it. I will note, by the way, so apparently Jojo Remy, who's been on the show before, he noted in the the voice wrestling slack that uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima's nickname is now apparently Kongo's Joker. So you can add him to the list of uh, great wrestling jokers, I guess. Uh, match <laughs> there's been many. Match number two: uh, Atsushi Kotoge, Yoshiki Inamura, and Deki Inaba defeating the team of Muhammad Yone, Shuei Tanaguchi, and Yohei. Uh, Inamura pinned Yone in uh, 858. Kind of a big pin for him, actually. Um, the big highlight for me this one was like Yohei's casual disco dancing. As he came out to Yone's theme song, that was really funny. Um, the best part of the actual match was probably uh, uh, Maybach's, like, uh, or the former Maybach, I should say. His little period running wild was really fun. Mainly his uh, big delayed backdrop suplex, but just in general. I, I, I love Tanaguchi. I'm kind of a mark for him. And always kind of sad that he never gets pushed more because he's really fun. Um, I don't like Inamura's like new. I guess they're not really new. I guess they're going back to what he originally wore. But his solid black tights just—they were a very weird look for him. I don't like that look for him at all. And just—I don't know—he's such a weird guy to break off from Congo in general because, like, big heel and big heavy for a heel unit just seems like his natural disposition, you know, like his natural state. And this kind of awkward face thing kind of reminds me of like those bizarre Cyber Kong. Maybe face turns in Dragon Gate just feels like going against his natural state, but I don't know. I mean, some of the I guess, to... but like I, I get why they broke him off since they already have Kitamiya and Soya, and to have Inamura as well, you have three heavies at that stage. Yeah, that's so fair. I get why they had to get rid of one of them. I mean, I, I, 
if anything, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, I still think he might be the third, uh, the third best one to do that with. But whatever. Uh, he's in a big match at Budokan, you know, that big tag match. So we'll see where it goes, from, where it goes from there. Maybe he'll debut New Gear there or something. But so far, I just like his presentation outside of Congo isn't doing much for me. But yeah, he got the pin here. Fun little match. I would say like three stars again. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. Uh, nothing much really. But I do like that Inamura is getting pushed. I actually really, really like Inamura. I think he has a ton of potential. But then again, he's also kind of the type of wrestler that I really, really like. Just a heavy bruiser. So I hope, but I agree with you that his look isn't the best right now. And it still very much feels like that's definitely, it's definitely not going to be his permanent look. There's no way that, that this is how he's going to look for the rest of his career. And I really hope that they debut his new gear soon. I mean, he has been teaming with Kiyomiya uh, recently as well. And I yeah. think maybe that they're going to keep that team permanently going forward. And maybe those two are going to form a stable or something. Or maybe get like more like gear, like tag team gear together or something like that. And hopefully that will be his new look as well. Yeah. Uh, the opener, the six-man tag, the Congo trio of Tadasuke. Uh, Hao and Neo defeating the team of uh, Yasu Takayano, Kenya Okada, and Junta Miyawaki. Uh, Tadasuke pins Yano in 10-12 uh, with his lariat. Um, you know, this was an opener. I don't know. I mean, you know, like the highlight again was Tadasuke going after the corner cam just to adjust his glasses. That was pretty funny. But, uh, you know, standard young lions versus veteran stuff here. Pretty decent. Nothing special. Two and three quarters. Yeah, no, it was fine. I, I really, really like the young guys that Noah got going. So I think they have a ton of potential and hopefully they kind of start moving some of them up soon. Obviously, Yano is like is still brand new, so he's going to be in these opening matches for a while longer. But I think the other two are actually rather ready to like move up a bit more soon and get involved in some proper feuds. So yeah. I hope they're going to start doing that soon. And then on the other end of the match... Uh, like, that's something that's been bothering me for a while now. But I think the gimmick of Tadasuke is just a really bad fit for Congo. Like, it just is completely the opposite of what the rest of the faction is. Like, yeah. it just, like, he, he would, like, it's like he got sent a memo of, like, oh, you're going to be in, like, this heel unit. And he's just like, oh, I'm going to play a heel. And then didn't check at all what the rest of the faction is doing. <laughs> like, he feels like a guy from a different faction that, like, snuck in and still, like, does his old stick. It is really funny. I kind of like it because it's so stupid, but yeah, I get it. Uh, but yeah, so that's it for Noah. I mean, you know, not two, the top two matches here were really good, so I would say check those out. The rest of this card, you really don't got to watch it. I mean, it's really skippable stuff, but if you do have time, you can go on a... People always say I should say where to watch this stuff if it's not obvious, so I always forget to do. But yeah, you can check out Abima. Uh, if you just search for abima.tv and Noah, I think it'll come up. But it's, uh, it's a free service, and you can watch this show for free, I believe, for a week. So I think it's a week after when it airs. You can watch it for free on there. And then at that point, it moves to Russell Universe, uh, which is a subscription. But yeah, uh, yep. definitely check it out. Um, but yeah, that's the Noah show. So some upcoming Noah stuff. Obviously, the big, big show is February 12th at the Nippon Budokan, which I will go over the card now. <laughs> but that, that week is going to be crazy, you know, just for Japanese wrestling shows and for this podcast because uh you know we're gonna do a show probably on sunday february 14th you know two weeks from now and that week has new beginning hiroshima 
uh, February 10th and 11th. Uh, Noah Nippon Budokan, February 12th. And DDT's Big Kawasaki Show, February 14th, which has the uh, Takashita versus Akiyama. Uh, not Takashita, I'm sorry. Endo versus Akiyama. Uh, you know, DDT KOD title match. So, I mean, that'll be a crazy podcast to do. <laughs> Just a crazy, uh, you know, a crazy week of Japanese wrestling. And it's not the only one like that either, because like Sunday the 28th has the two Castle Attack shows, the big All Japan Korokin from the 23rd, Noah has a Kirk on the 24th, the DET has a Kirk on the 28th. So, I mean, we'll try to cover all that too, probably. But yeah, it's going to be a pretty, pretty crazy couple of weeks in February. For some reason, like, there's nothing the weekend of February 7th, and there's nothing the weekend of February 21st. So the, everyone put their fucking shows, uh, you know, on those two weeks. So or they're, they're pretty big shows too. So I don't know why they did that, but because they hate me, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the February twelfth uh, Budokan show, Friday, February twelfth, which again we will cover on this show. Uh, the back to Budokan, uh, their first time there, what in like at least eight years, right? I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna look. Because there, there have been like multiple people in Noah who've made it their mission to take Noah back to Budokan. Yeah. I'm going to check it real quick because I'm curious now. Let's see. Uh, Arena Nippon Budokan. I guessed, what did I guess? I guessed eight years. Uh, I, okay. <laughs> I did have it almost exactly right. So, uh, I, I, you know, I people hate when I give myself a pat on the back, but I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for that one. It was May 11th, 2013, the Noah final burning of oh, Budokan. Wow. Uh, and that was headlined by Junakyama, Keiji Mudo, Kensuke Sasaki, and Kenta Kobashi beating Goshi Ozaki, Kenta, Maybach, and Kanemaru. Uh, presumably that's the Kobashi retirement match, I think. So Probably, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise it's weird, like, you would headline a Budokan with that match. Yeah. Let me just double-check. Yes, it's definitely the Kobashi retirement match. So there you go. So, yeah, the la- that's the last time they ran uh, the Budokan. So uh, first time back in almost eight years. Um, but, yeah, so the Budokan card... Uh, it opens up with a tag team match. Uh, just, you know, mo- actually two old guys against two young guys. Uh, Akitashi Saito and Masao Inoue versus Daiki and Nava and Kenya Okada. Poor Nava, like, he's really done nothing in Noah since he came over. Like, I just expect them to be doing more than this, you know? But... They also teased a feud with Marufuji, and then that just never went anywhere. Like, I actually assumed that that was going to be a match on the show, and they just pivoted away from that. Studies in this opening tag, so whatever. Uh, then a six-man tag, Kotoge, Miyawaki, and Yano against Hajime Ohara, Yohei, and Kawaii Fujimura. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce that first name. Uh, but yes, there you go. A six-man tag team match. Very standard stuff here. Uh, Mohamed Yone and Shuhei Tanaguchi against uh, Masaki Mochizuki from Dragon Gate and Masao Tanaka. Seems like a little bit of a waste of uh, Mochizuki to me, but you know. We'll see. He has been somewhat of a regular, though, for M's Alliance. Could be be a good little match. Then a 12-man tag team match. So, Takashi Sugera, Kazushi Sakuraba, Kazuyuki Fujita, fucking Kazunori Murakami. Let's go. (laughs) Kendo Kachin and Nosawa Rangai against uh, the Congo team of Nakajima, Masakitamiya, Manabo Soya, uh, Hao, Neo, and Tadasuke. Uh, so people were really annoyed they're not doing the tag title match here. They're doing it instead. Uh, Sugera yeah. and Sakuraba against Nakajima and Kitamiya. It's going to be uh, March 7th at the Yokohama Budokan. But, uh, you know, I guess they feel like they got to save some matches. I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, but still, like, you know, this is like your big return, like, to Nippon Budokan after, as you said, eight years. Yeah. And you're, you're not going to give us a tag title match, and instead you're going to give us this clusterfuck because you want to fit everyone onto the card. <laughs> this could be fun, though. Come on. Like, I'm, it could Mur- be fun. Murakami's going to get in there. I'm going ha- to have a blast with that. But... Yeah, but look, you can you could have easily just like split off the like tag title yeah, match and still yeah. have like the leftover people like do this match anyway. That's, that's fair. I mean, there, there is a strong top five here, but yeah, I don't, there's like a you know it's a top five and then a bottom five. Very clear deline- delineation here. Uh, then we get to the, the you know the meat of the card here: a GHC junior tag team title match, uh, Yoshinari Ogawa and Hayata against Kotaro Suzuki and Ikuda Hodaka. That could be really good. Um, could be a yeah. title change here. I don't know. Do you think there'll be a title change? Yeah, no, I, I expect that as well. But I mean, as I said, this is like the Noah Juniors, so <laughs> you could also easily like there could be a title change. There could also be a turn. There could be <laughs> both of those things, or there could be multiple turns. Uh, we'll see. Then we have a GHC Junior Singles title match: uh, Daisuke Harada against Seki Yoshioka. I would expect Harada to retain here, but uh, you know, I wouldn't mind Yoshioka yeah. winning. No, I mean, I really like Yoshioka, yeah. but like. Not to like steal verbiage from Joe Lanza, like Yoshioka is like a good mid-level junior. Yeah. And so I don't really expect him to win this match, but I mean, I don't know. I I think like a good short reign for Yoshioka could do good things for him, but also like just building up like a big Harada reign, I guess, would be really good for the division too. Uh, match number three has a tagline: Noah Generation, uh, Naomichi Marafuji and June Akiyama against Kaito Kiyomiya and Yoshiki Inamura. Uh, of course, this is Akiyama's big return to Noah. Uh, he has not been there in quite some time. I'm going to look up exactly when it was. I think it was like, what? He jumped in like, oh, oh, oh no, he did 2019. He did a match in 2019. My bad. Uh, he did... Oh, was that, the, was that the show where Kenta and Marufuji? No, this was, this, main... was, this was Idiomi in Osaka. So it was oh, okay. him, Kaito Kiyomiya, and Keiji Budo against Musaki Mochizuki, Naomichi Marafuji, and Suri Taniguchi. So, yeah, um, yeah he, so it's his first time back in two years. Not not quite as long as I would have Oh, was that, the, was that the Misawa uh, tribute show or something? Oh, yeah, probably, yeah. And then the, the, the Marafuji show, he did the he was there in 2018 as well in the semi-main event. Uh, he and Atsuki Ayaki uh, faced Daisuke Harada and Tagashi Sugera. They went to a 30-minute time limit draw. So... Yeah, he's been back a few times, but yeah, he he left the company all the way back in uh in 2013. So at the very start of 2013. But now the question is, do you think this is a more permanent return than his last couple, like just one-off appearances? Because he's like he's now officially a freelancer because his all Japan contract expired. Yeah. So do you think like he's going to be a regular going forward, and yeah, is that going question. to have an impact on the outcome of the match? Yeah, who knows? Because I wouldn't be opposed to a Kiyomiya Akiyama feud. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I mean it could it could happen. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but yeah, this match should be awesome. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this one. Just seeing yeah. Akiyama and Kiyomiya mix it up for the for the first time in a long time, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Semi main event again, very excited for this. Kano defending the GHC national title against Masakatsu Funaki. I think Kano retains. I wouldn't. I definitely would not complain. If Funaki wins the title, but I think Kano retains. I I kind of feel like Funaki is going to win this. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I would. Be, I, I would not I think, complain. I, 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to either. Uh, like, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind Kano retaining either. But I think it's actually really interesting to put the title on Funaki because Kano has had like a good long title right now, mm-hmm. and I feel like it might be time to like mix things up a little bit. And and I think Funaki has like a lot of fresh matchups as well that Kano like because who else would be like a good challenger for Kano for the national title that he hasn't already faced. So I think it would be like a really cool thing to like bring Funaki in and give him like a bit of a title reign and ha- have him like have really cool match uh, with the national title. Yeah, it definitely could be a could be something. You know, I, I mean, look, I, it could be a really cool reign if Funaki wins it. So yeah, I, w- I would be into it. Uh, and the main event for the GHC heavyweight title: Goshi Ozaki versus Keiji Mudo. Uh, a lot of people thought the play was going to be uh, Mudo. You know, beating Go here and then maybe losing the title to Ki- to Kiyomiya to make up for Kiyomiya, you know, him beating Kiyomiya last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a, uh, you know, it's it, it feels a little less certain to me now after Mudo beat Go in the build up. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. I think, gun to my head, I think Go wins. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, I I kind of have that feeling now as well, uh, especially if. Like, especially, as I mentioned earlier, like, if Akiyama sticks around and he maybe mixes it up with Kiyomiya, then obviously, like, Kiyomiya, but, like, the Kiyomiya title match is going to be put off a bit longer as well. And I don't think if they put the title on Mutu, it would be a long reign because you just can't, you can't really do that. And as far as I know, like, I think Mutu mentioned as well that, like, this is the one title that he hasn't won yet, right? Yeah. I think he mentioned that in the build-up. And I think it's kind of cool as well, the idea that like this is the one title that will forever elude KJ Muto in his illustrious how many, has, career. How many times has he challenged for it, I wonder? Let's, let's, look, at, let's look that up. It has, I know he's I done it at least once, once or twice. Yeah, I yeah. say. KJ Muto. GHC. Cause they make it very easy to search for that if you look at... If you just search like GHC, it usually comes up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so GHC. really nice feature. Oh, no, he's never challenged for it. Oh, never. So it's his first yeah. challenge. So he yeah he challenged for the GHC tag titles twice. He challenged uh, he and Kea lost to Misawa and Ogawa at the Departure uh, 2004 Tokyo Dome show, and he and Goshiozaki lost to Akiyama and Saito in Yokohama in 2012. But yeah, he's never challenged for the GHC heavyweight title. It so. does make me slightly reconsider, but just gun to my head, I still think Go is going to retain, but. Given that it's his first title challenge, like that does make it a bit more likely that he's going to win. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. So even though I didn't do a call for questions. Oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Uh, there's just one more thing I wanted to talk about with the show, and that's just I don't know how much you've like looked at that, like how much of a complete shit show, the like how you're going to watch the show mm. is, like the like viewing options for the show. No, I, haven't, I, I don't know if you like know about I, how this I think, is actually structured. I, I think I heard like only half the show is live or is free or something on the Bima. Yeah. So the weird thing is, so half the show is going to be on pay per view, and the other half is going to be like able to like you can watch it on like a Bima, or you can watch it on Wrestle Universe, or you can watch it on Fight TV with English commentary. Uh, but which half do you think is only available <laughs> on pay-per-view that you need to pay for? Well, obviously, it's the top five matches. No, it's the Antenna card. <laughs> it's so weird. But I thought the whole show was available on Fight, at least. 
Yeah, fight, fight. I think is uh, I think fight and a Beamer TV are the only. Okay, so here it is. So the first four matches will only be available. This is via Hisame, who does the Pro Wrestling Noah English account. Uh, the first four matches will only be available via a Beamer or Fight TV, who will also broadcast the whole event. The second half, the four title matches and the Noah Generations tag, you can view on a Beamer or Wrestle Universe. Very strange. So yeah. <laughs> very weird. Alrighty, uh, we got a couple questions here, and I didn't do a call for questions this week. But people, and if people, if people ever want to do this and just drop questions in the discords, especially like these two guys did, I, I never, I don't mind that, even though I didn't do a call for questions this week. Uh, first of all, Mixelpick says, uh, "Dear John and/or guest, I miss Naito spitting on people. I've always felt that the single most important trait of Lij Naito was disrespect, and that spitting." was the most visceral way in which that disrespect could be expressed. I get why he's not doing it right now, obviously. I guess I was just wondering if this was something other people were missing as well. Well, first of all, Mixelpix, you should have seen the look on my girlfriend's face when you said that, when I read that question out loud, because she's in this room doing her hair, uh, trying to be as quiet as possible, but she made a, a face like, uh-huh. Like, basically, that, was, that was the look on her face. I will say, any... it's definitely a very weird fetish. Do you have any comments on this, Nicole? Do you want to comment on Naito? You had a facial reaction here, so do you want to give a verbal reaction? I don't like when wrestlers spit. I don't know if the mic picked that up or not, but she doesn't like when wrestlers spit, she said. So I do yeah. not miss that during COVID. Yeah, she doesn't miss it. I, I will disagree with Nicole. I definitely uh, do miss Naito spitting. It's very, very entertaining. Definitely a big part of his gimmick, so I'm going to have to side with Mixel Picks here. I don't know, Paul, where are you on Spitgate? Uh, I guess, yeah. Uh, I mean, but does Tomoaki Hanma feel worth it being spit on <laughs> by Tetsuya Naito? There you go. I don't maybe think that's all, like, maybe it that's is all a hot Hama, feud. That's all Hanma wants. This? He wants to be spat on. <laughs> okay, now, now you're definitely making it weird. <laughs> uh, our, our Mithia also said, hey, John, here's a podcast question for you. Why do you think DDT slash Tokyo Joshi got shut out of the Shoe Pro Reader Awards? Um, so my first inclination on this was like to think it had something to do with the lack of coverage for DDT in the in the magazine. Um, you know, I thought for like every magazine I bought, you know, DDT is always like towards the back of the issue uh, as far as like their coverage. Like definitely with the like with your big Japans and Russell ones and stuff, uh, and not up there with like New Japan, Noah, All Japan. But, uh, you know, Jamie O'Donnell from the Dramatic DET site, he corrected me a little bit and said they do have, like, a regular column in, in the magazine. Like, apparently Maki Ito writes a column every week. So, you know, they, they do have coverage in the magazine. So that can't really explain it. Um, I don't know. I think, the, the like, when I think of a shoe pro reader, I mean, to me, they're most, a lot of them are big New Japan fans. And that goes way back. I mean... When you look at like I, I just covered this on the uh, on the Patreon, but when they did their uh, their big interpromotional show in '95, their big Tokyo Dome show, uh, that was like right before their controversial editor at the time, uh, Tarzan Yamamoto. He briefly got um, like banned from New Japan shows for like a month, uh, you know, from covering them at ringside. So they like Shoe Pro had no. 
Uh, Shoe Four, by the way, is weekly pro wrestling. I keep saying the the shortened version, without saying the full version. It's the the last weekly magazine about pro wrestling left in Japan. Anyway, um, so you know, Shoe Pro, they got banned from New Japan shows for a month, and their readership plummeted. So clearly, even back in ninety five in ninety six, when obviously all Japan was at a very high level still too, and you know you had uh, other promotions that were you know, pretty popular. Like, you know, I think some of the Joshi promotions were still, you know, kind of hanging in there and, you know, um, you had FMW. But yeah, I mean, like, just not being able to cover New Japan for a month, like, the magazine plummeted. And, you know, they really, they end up having to fire Tarzan Yamamoto over that. Um, so I just think, you know, this is a, it's a very New Japan-centric magazine. I mean, if you look at most of the covers in this era, it's almost always New Japan. Um and, you know, beyond that, I mean, Noah and All Japan get a lot of, like, top-tier coverage, too. And, like, you know, it seems like the—it's it, very focused on, like, the, the quote-unquote big three. I mean, All Japan really did poorly in the Shupro fan poll this year, too, or this past year. Uh, but that was a lot, a lot of that on the, the quality of year All Japan had, I think. Um, yeah. And, you know, DDT—I mean, DDT did really well in the—or uh, pretty well in the, the Net Awards, which is, like, the— you know the, the fan awards like voted on this on this Japanese wrestling message board every year. Um, you know they did pretty damn well in that and you know in those awards. But yeah, I guess like DET fans are much more uh, represented in, in those award voting than they were in the shoot pro readership. And you know I've heard the DDT actually has a lot of uh, like the DT fan base has a, has a lot of um, you know like crossover with the, like the WWE Japanese fan base, which I guess makes a certain amount of sense. But I also think they're, you know, like some of your really hardcore smart types in Japan, which are going to be more well represented in those net awards, they do pay attention to DET. And shoe pro readership isn't, I wouldn't call it casual, but it's definitely more casual than like your net award people, right? Because it's like much more people like who are yeah. like really into New Japan and they may pay attention to like a nowhere in all Japan. And, you know, they flip through the magazine every week, but like a little more casual than the than the net award people who are much more hardcore. And like, you know, you see all sorts of wacky shit in those net awards. Like you'll see GCW matches and AEW stuff. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very, very better, you know, DET better represented there than in shoe pro. So. Yeah. Uh, maybe just real quick on like, what I maybe noticed, which is like the other side of the question, uh, which is the fact that I think, Tokyo Joshi Pro in the past year, and I think Joshi in general has had kind of a breakout year in 2020, because I don't think that Tokyo Joshi Pro getting shut out out of the shoe pro poll would have been something that people would have noticed, or like there would have been people that might have noticed, but I don't think that that's something that probably would have come up as a question before 2020. So I think it's really nice to see that like Tokyo Joshi Pro really has had like a breakout year in the past year so much that people are like weirded out by getting shot out of the shoe proposal. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, all right. I guess we can wrap it up there. We went honestly a little longer than I thought we would on these two shows, but uh, again, I guess I said that last week too. We just we chatty bunch here on wrestling on Mikasi, especially, <laughs> especially me. Uh, I don't know how long the, the one with those four shows is going to be. I guess it's going to be four hours, but uh but yeah, uh, Paul, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, just generally uh, watch my writing at Voice of Wrestling. Uh, 
I guess I'm going to review the newer border control, so uh, you can definitely look forward to that. Uh, otherwise, oh yeah, uh, some 2AW uh, just hit uh, independentwrestling.tv, so if you have a subscription to that, go watch that, because uh, it's really, really good. Well, uh, and I, otherwise, I, I yeah. swear, like, I really wish that we get, like, Kaintai Dojo footage on there, like, old archive stuff. I would watch that. Oh stuff yeah, that would be really cool, but uh, I don't know who owns that footage, if that's yeah. Taka, or if that's the new company, that's probably, like not quite clear who owns that so who knows oh yeah maybe that's actually one thing i wanted to ask you about that uh, because like you're better at japanese than i am and maybe that's a reference or something or like a joke that i don't get but like why is he the andrew king takuma now like like why isn't he just king takuma why the andrew like i don't get the andrew part if that's like some Japanese reference I'm just not getting. I don't know it either. I don't. I really don't know. <laughs> I did. Maybe we can ask. Uh, ask Andrew Puffinbrain. He knows more Japanese than me, and he. It's his name too, so maybe he'll know. Oh yeah, maybe that's why he's called Andrew. Yeah, there you go. It's a reference to Puffinbrain. I don't know. I really have no idea why he's the Andrew King. So, there you go. All right, folks. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Russell Omakase. Wrestling, of course, wouldn't fit. Uh, we'll be back next week with a uh, so it's a very quiet week in Japanese wrestling next week just you know a bunch of New Japan Korokins and uh, the All Japan uh, Baba Memorial Show which you know I mean that's not that super interesting so instead we're going to do a, another Retro Roulette episode uh, another WCW one we did the Halloween Havoc one uh, a few months back and this time since it's February we're going to do a WCW Super Brawl Retro Roulette so uh you know, just like last time, we can get literally any match from any Super Brawl. It's totally up to the randomizer gods. So who knows what we'll get? Will we get good stuff? Will we get bad stuff? We'll have to wait and see. It'll be six random matches. Uh, I'll be joined by a first-time guest for that, Voices of Wrestling's Matt Francis. So he and I should have a lot of fun with that. Uh, so that'll be on the free feed next week. And again, also check out the, uh, if you want some more Japanese wrestling coverage, uh, retro in this case, uh, on the Patreon Myself and WH Park are going to do an awesome five matches episode around the same time. So definitely check that out at patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Until then, folks, uh, thank you as always for listening, and we will see you next time.